Oh my god, so hot. Let's let's start with this tweet I received from Jan Janowski. He's a member of the German diplomatic court. And when I told people that I was talking to you, I got lots of different questions. And, and this gentleman said that you were, and I quote, a true legend, somebody who uncovered Korea back when nobody was paying attention, a hero of his younger days. And you are someone from whom he learned so much. So... <laughs> Can oh. we start with the early days? That's a nice, that's a nice oh, tweet. A, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the most flattering intro I've had. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, thank you, Mr. Jan. Yeah, Janowski. Jan Janowski. Jan Janowski. Jan Janowski. Um, yeah, the early days, I guess I'll just, I should just start by introducing myself. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so, I came to Korea for the first time after college in 1994. Uh, um, on the Fulbright English Teaching Assistantship, mm -hmm. which is basically the extension of what the old Peace Corps used to do. But they ended the Peace Corps in the late 80s because mm. Korea was too developed, um, um, you know, for being a Peace Corps country. Yeah. So, um, but they wanted, but the Peace Corps generally did uh, English teaching in public schools. Um, and this, the uh, districts liked that a lot. Mm. Native speakers in the schools, that was a premium you know, a premium kind of thing to have. Mm. Um, so they negotiated, and the State Department said, we'll extend the essentially what they did under a new program, mm. Fulbright English Teaching Assistantship. So what I understand is in 1994, or actually 1992, they started one, like one in Korea, one in Germany. Mm. And uh, by 94, I think there was one in Taiwan as well. Okay. But um, I came to live with the host family and teach in the school where my host family kid lived. Um, so I taught in a middle school. So all of us taught in middle schools and high schools all across the peninsula. So and you stayed with a family, actually, yeah. you by yourself. So it was kind of a it's a, it's a brilliant program because mm. um, it's, it puts you in this, the basic two institutions of society, the school and the family. Yeah. Right? So it's like the best of what you get on a foreign exchange. But you also get to be an authority figure and be a contributing member of society. And also, the State Department doesn't have to pay your salary because you work, by working in the school, you get your salary for working as a teacher. What was salary like in 1994? 800,000 won, which actually in 1994 money oh. was about $1,000. Okay. Um, and uh, on Cheju, they increased ours to 900,000 because we had to take the plane to go to the mm -hmm. peninsula. But yeah, I cut my teeth on that. How Got, old were you then? I was 22. I didn't know shit <laughs> about anything. <laughs> I um, still don't. That was my that was my first job actually. Uh. I mean, I, I worked in like churches for you know, small part-time but my first out of college job mm. was teaching in Korean school. So yeah, I quickly learned how to do that, and I was starting to read my students' textbooks, mm. um, and I started, as a part of learning Korean, you know, applying the uh, stuff that I was learning grammar-wise, and I started realizing that one of their textbooks, Dodok, mm. the uh, 
morals curriculum yeah. was just batshit crazy. <laughs> and I, I was like, wait a minute, this is like, like reheated, like Prussian, you could even argue even Nazi era views on race and ethnicity. And I was like, where is this coming from? What kind of stuff did it say? Like, what so was it? it was Koreans ethnic? are a pure culture, a single culture, mm. race, and, cult, you know, people. The, the one, one race, you know, like, Ein Reich, Ein Deutschland, überall. I was like, that's what I'm hearing in my, in my head. It's so, like the Tanil Minjok, yeah, the, the Minjok, one ethnicity was, type thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, um, this is, I need to know where this is coming from. Mm. And then I realized after looking into it, that it's coming from Japan, essentially. Japan's notion of how to think about race, ethnicity, blood, um, you know, people, mm. basically is the framework that influenced Korea intellectuals and, you know, all over China, t- Taiwan, other places, obviously. Mm. Um, so I thought that was interesting, and I started doing my dissertation in that direction and thinking about Korean national identity and you know, how race is constructed and all that stuff. So... Then I took that to my dissertation, um, like actually made that my dissertation and came back in 2002 to go into the archives, Mm. to get the difficult, you know, like original textbooks, you know, textbooks that really aren't published anymore. All that stuff, I actually found all the stuff really easily. And uh, we had a good connect, the Ministry of Education, Mm -hmm. KEDI, Korean Education Development. They had all the textbooks that is big. This big room with all the textbooks, even mm-hmm. textbooks that don't, that they kind of want to forget about. Like, um, what's the one? Paden Tsenghua. Okay. Like, like, how to be a proper person. Like, mm-hmm. that's basically what Dolduk was. Um, and uh, so I found all the stuff, but then I just was like, eh. I was getting more into photography, street photography. And I was kind of like, eh, this is boring me. Mm-hmm. So the really figuring out what constitutes Korean identity seemed to be much more interesting but challenging with by doing that visually. Mm-hmm. I felt like there's something out there that people haven't defined and captured and I try to do it with you know documentary film photography. So you you must have had the Korean language that you do now. I do now. Yeah, what was it like in 1994 or 2002 when you got into the archives because if you're reading those books you need to be able to read them. Ah. Well, the problem is uh really uh 1994 I had taken a year of Korean in school, and it was a pretty crappy course. Yeah. Um, I could, by the end of that course, I could say, I go to school. I go home. I knew how to, I couldn't, I didn't even know the past tense that well. Right. Um, and that's my fault. I just, it was not a great course. Because Korean language education was garbage for most of the time it existed mm. until pretty much the late 90s, um, maybe early 2000s. And, uh, yeah, so I was pretty non-functional. I did the so Fulbright orientation gave us a pretty good, like intense six weeks. Yeah, like going to a hole, you know, beat you with a stick kind of exposure. So I basically got most of my Korean. I I did audit the course, the Korean language course one mm. after they fired the previous guy who had been around when I took it <laughs> for credit. So I audited that once I found out I was going to Korea under that program. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Wow, I can actually make sentences and not really talk, but yeah. wow, my previous professor was really bad. Um, so 
um, yeah, Fulbright also cleaned that up with their intensive course. And by the time I got down to Chejido, I could haltingly put together sentences, ask for things like, I want to go to the bathroom, that yeah. kind of thing. But I couldn't really talk. So, um, yeah. But after the end of two years, I really got it under my belt. Yeah. I was able to converse, and I became functionally fluent, fluent in that I could go back and forth and have a conversation that wasn't planned mm. or structured. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that kind of became my base. I've seen you do that in videos and things. It's impressive. It, it makes me, you know, I have to hit the books harder. I have to keep studying. But I've seen you do that. You know, you, oh. it's, it's talking the talk, which yeah. you need to do. It. it. It's really impressive. Korea must have had a positive effect on you. Like, you came back, and, and you're still here. So, like... You, you find these things in the in the dog books, the textbooks that you question and you explore, but it must have been you must have enjoyed it. Is that right? I I definitely mm-hmm. enjoyed the process. I mean I mean I enjoyed Korea. You must enjoy being here. There's something about it. I you, think there's something about it that so the best example I can give you is yeah. I think as a, a foreigner who is trying to do something or figure something out mm. um about the place, um you're kind of open to weird experiences that come in from left field and me and a friend named kim who may end up watching this Mm. um she's she's a korean adoptee who is from the midwest like me wisconsin i don't know if that's the word midwest but um yeah so we're walking down the street in pusan Mm. and these kind of maybe gangster kind of guys are like the kind of people we never associate with at home yeah like organized crime like American Italian mafia type gangsters, the guys who wear suits and say, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're like, Hey, do you want to come into our club? And uh, we were like, Do we? And uh, I'd probably say yes. And <laughs> to be honest, and then look. We, they took us into the club because yeah. we were like, Yes, what are we not doing anything else? We're just bumbling tourists who yeah. don't know anything about anything. Um, <clears throat> and we're in there, and they were like, Oh, here's your girl, and it's a room salon. Okay. So she starts feeding me fruit, and Kim is like, Where's mine? Like, I want a guy. Yeah. I'll stay if you bring me a guy. A tibby. <laughs> and there wasn't really a guy. I think what they did is they called up a friend to, like, mm. you know, step up to the to the task. And, uh, yeah, we're there. And they didn't obviously charge us the full amount. We didn't know what was going on. Um, so we were just eating fruit. They, I don't think they charged us anything, if I remember. Mm. Had beer, you know, got fed by some random person, you know, mm. hope her hands were clean. Anyway. Um, yeah, it was an experience, but that's a sort of random thing you could wake up not expecting to happen to you in a given day. Yeah. And you have access in that sense to things that other Koreans also wouldn't have access to. Because a normal Korean person walking down the street fits into a certain social role. They look yeah. a certain way. Yeah. They're not going to be like, hey, do you want to come you know, hang out with gangsters? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, average, like, kid, high school kid, mom. Mm. university student is not going to be seen in that way so we had a certain kind of access did i I, so i don't know if i'm answering your question or if i'm veering way off it's all good i mean i i I can see you've painted the picture mike i i i get it i i guess what was can you just before we move on to the other stuff like the was jeju like you were in jeju in the 90s yeah 90s i i've no idea what jeju was like in the 90s i can't Picture it. The problem is, I was in Cheju, yeah. arguably during the last days when Cheju was Cheju, 
when Cheju was Cheju. Okay, you got the pronunciation. C-H- yeah, yeah. Okay. When I came in the Korea, mm. it was visit Korea year, and Cheju though was mm. um, a central feature. It was trying to market itself as Korea's Hawaii, mm. and then I was like, so anyone who goes there, you can market yourself with the pictures, and there are palm trees um, that are kind of dead in the winter, but they kind of come back to life. Mm. You can kind of market it as um, Hawaii to people who don't live there. Or have never been there, but if you're there, you're like, yeah, it's not Hawaii, it's not a <laughs> tropical place. It's cool that it's cool in other places, I but like yeah, back then Jeju or Jeju was pretty like culturally different from the yeah. peninsula, and there was enough. Uh, one thing that I remember is there was quite a bit of anti-peninsular sentiment back then. It okay. was still, if you were a Jeju mm. young lady and you decided to marry a soul man, um, that would still be a huge issue for conservative wow. families. Like, that's like interracial marriage or something. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the yukchi nomdo were just, yeah, that was a thing back then. Mm. It's, what I understood about Teju, I'll try and get it right now, is that, um, like, Koreans couldn't really travel abroad until 1989, like, freely. And that was when that happened, January 1st. And so... In order to get that honeymoon experience, like going on a plane, going abroad, they couldn't really go abroad. So they went to Jeju because it felt like here, it felt like going abroad. So that's yeah. why they all went there. And I always heard stories about like uh, penis statues and sex museums and things. Oh, like that's that. all new. That's I never, I never even heard of that stuff. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. That okay. wasn't. That's not Jeju in the nineties. Okay. Because Jeju had turned itself into a business mm. of basically exoticizing itself to. Other Koreans, mm. um, but the penis stuff that wasn't there. I never. I think I don't even know. I don't know the history of that, but no, none of that stuff was a thing <laughs> until <laughs> people got cameras. I guess like yeah. it was about phones. Well, here's something because you're pretty. I don't know if this is the right way, but you're 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 sensitive. You're tuned into style and culture and, and aesthetic and fashion, the way things look and vibe. What was it like back then? In Jeju, because again, this is just like books because I wasn't there, but you get rises of like orange, orangey dark and like yeah. nouveau riche and things like that. What was was the, was the fashion or the culture or the, the vibe like in the, in the 90s? Uh, I guess the 90s was the whole vibe in the country. I think that what made it interesting back then, mm. what made people, what made Korea the kind of secret that basically only like, Korean Americans, Korean diaspora people, mm. and a few random army people, and uh, like uh, what the, what are the sungyos? Um, the I don't know what that is. The, uh, I need to remember my English. Um, the Utah people. The okay, like Mormons or something Mormons, like that. The, yeah, the not exchange, but the people who spread God. Missionaries, Missionaries yes. yeah, evangelicals. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're so, normally in pairs with short sleeve shirts. Yeah, and so books, yeah, those guys that. actually were the worst. I mean, they got it the worst. I mean, I actually hung out with some of them. I, I can't really hung out, hang out with Mormons, but I mean, I felt their position mm. in society because I was often mistaken for a Mormon because I would walk around going to school with like short sleeve dress shirt and a tie. <laughs> I didn't have the <laughs> black badge. But also there weren't that I could see any non-white Mormons um, at the time. So, yeah, I, didn't, I was like, I kind of don't see why you're mistaking me for that. But, yeah. But at the time, 
yeah, the whole mood of the peninsula and the island yeah. was like somebody who just won the lottery. Mm-hmm. Like that's I think how Korean partying or Korean Koreans' attitude towards money, consumption, all that thing. Because I mean, from the, until the late '80s and the turn of '90s, mm. I mean, the big party that happened, I think, was the Olympics, '88 Olympics. Yeah, man. And that kind of started the the change in the I think notions of self in terms of the world, mm. globality, that kind of thing. Mm. I think '88 Olympics made Korea's globality sense of globalness real. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, as Korea started getting real money. Into the '90s, the Orange Choke you just mentioned—they mm. were a legendary group of people um, because of the kind of money they wielded, the kind of partying they did, which was legendary. The whole Yata story. Yata, yeah. <laughs> so you know, I mean, it was a time when people were just like, all this new culture was there, and people were ready to bask in it. Mm. You know, the Yata culture that is still a legendary story, but this mm. is real. Like this was a time when you could. <clears throat> have a sports car mm. from overseas if you had that kind of money at the time you faking or not you were in that sports car you had money mm. um, and you could be like go pull up in Apkujang Rodeo to you know why would you drive a sports car in Apkujang Rodeo because you're just driving in a circle like a golf cart yeah. you can't do anything with it yeah. um, it's only to be seen and you see some pretty girl walk by and you're like yeah hey get in my car mm. and then you would and you'd go to a motel and you'd fuck so can I say that? Yeah, you can say that. But I mean, I'm I, thinking Billy Ocean or something <laughs> like that. I'm thinking of his own songs. Like, yeah, go to hotel. Yeah, I mean, but that's how, like, it was a new thing, and it was the thing that the hyper elite kids could do. Was the promiscuity new? Was the idea was the idea of sex new? I, that might be like a gross misunderstanding. But was that I, idea of I what I the th- thing that drives a lot of my photography and my ethnography is yeah. I like to keep it real. I like to show the real because people used to lie to me all the time and be like, oh, there are no gay people in Korea. We have to come back to that. Yeah. Um, there are you know, people who don't have sex before marriage. And mm. I believed all that crap. Kind of believed it. Mm. But what I realized is the promiscuity, I realized this too late, is uh, it's been around for a while. It's just that nobody talked about it. Mm. Like you could be promis- promiscuous as you want to be, but as long as you don't get caught. Mm. I mean, that's, I think the difference between the Orangey was just, they were just like, you know what? We're rich, young, and whatever. We look, we got this money. Yeah. And we don't have to apologize for anything anymore. So I think that's kind of the mood of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was definitely super different than it is now, where it's a much more self assured kind of, you know, there's a deeper confidence, and it's not a new mm. thing. It's not you just got the prize. Mm. It's older money now. Yeah. It's a more comfortable wealth. Yeah, and it, it's less hidden. It doesn't conform to norms or things like that. It has a fuck you money almost. Mm. You know, they can do what they want. What I find interesting is that if I, w- if I want to know something about, like, Korean culture that you can't see but you can see but like we used the word earlier like vibes but aesthetics and and things like that you 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 seem to have your finger on the pulse like you do stuff like that you do it in you do it in english and you have it all out there how how did you get into that so you're doing dissertation you're doing like tanil minjok you're doing ethnicity and things like this but you move into this kind of 
you talk about brand career. You're mm. talking about things that we can't really see almost. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? How do you get into that part of it? When when does that start and what what do you see there? I mean, I have to say the simple answer is fashion. Although that's when people hear fashion, they think about like the fashion industry. They think a certain type of person. Mm. Even I as a photographer, I'm supposed to look a certain way that I don't look mm. when I'm supposed to be doing fashion. I mean, like a beret or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. And uh, a fitted, you know, nice suit or something. Yeah, yeah. And be kind of, yeah. So I was doing street photography. And my whole thing about street is trying, I started realizing the more I was looking at it, mm. I was trying to capture what I think is the most interesting part of Korean visual culture, which is mm. public culture, this hyper-constructed notion of femininity. And uh, so what I was trying to do is capture pictures of, gender performance to mm. get into like Judith Butler and all those mm. people. Um, but I've, I felt like, so when I was in grad school in between, you know, my first time in Korea and preparing to come back, I remember talking to a friend of mine, Stephen, um, in grad school saying, there's something that I couldn't, I can't quite define or write about. There's no way to research it. There's no, there's no references on it. Mm. And I called it fetishized femininity. And I felt like there, there's a thing going on there. I don't know how to talk about it, mm. but it's there. So mm. when I came back, I just kind of had that in the back shelf. But when I was doing the photography, which mm. I found more interesting than mm. just going into the archives, um, I found that in my photography, I was capturing those moments more and more. Um, now, that's that can become a problem if you're taking pictures of mostly women that, without their permission, um, you know, on the streets. So, um, yeah, and, and it becomes expensive to do street photography to begin with. Um, What's expensive about it? Well, back then, it was all film. So, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. So you run a uh, thirty-six roll of T Max, you know, four hundred. Um, I got these large rolls that were like, you know, no box. You just buy them in the uh, big rolls, and then they cut them for you. Okay. Um, so I got them pretty cheap, like three dollars a roll or so. But I, you, you go through. You know, six or seven rolls because the way you shoot is really mm. to capture a moment you burst shoot, so you can go through a roll pretty fast. Um, so, the time I was really getting deep into it, I was working at day one foreign language high school and making a lot of easy money. Mm. So I'd go through, I just drop, I just burn through ten rolls in a day, just. Um, but actually, around that time, two thousand six, I got my first DSLR. Okay. And that happened through fashion. So there was a friend of mine um, who knew I was doing photography, and she wanted to do what was popular then, which was make an online shopping mall, mm. right? Mm. Because the, what was her name? The $100,000 girl, she had just become famous for making idok by doing an online shopping mall. I've not heard that story. That was like the thing that drove a lot of um, the on the street fashion interest back in that like 2005, six, seven, I don't remember. It was back like then. the dream that could be achieved. Yeah. It was an example or and something. And it was like, oh, yeah. just some, and she's not a special person, just some anybody. Yeah. She opened an online shopping mall and started, mm. you know, bringing in clothes from wherever, China, I don't know wherever it was, and started selling, you know, things from overseas, um, some items that were difficult to get here, especially. Mm. So there'd be people taking the plane to, you know, like the States, 
stuffing their bags full of stuff, bringing it back here and selling it, going back and forth, and being able to make that profitable. One of my students just interrupted, said today that her mum does like retail sales like that. Mm. She said her mum gets the clothes from China, then takes out the label and puts a Korean label in there. Mm, <laughs> her friends were like, "So you mean my clothes might actually?" And they were, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the, that's <laughs> the story. Grassing up her mum like that. That's the story. <laughs> Um, so she was like, I'm going to do an online shopping mall, which was the thing that many young enterprising women did at the time. And she's mm. like, I don't know. I don't have a photographer friend. Your only friend, can you like take pictures for me? I'm like, no, I can't. Because to do the kind of like uh, heavy, mm. you know, modeling, posing, you know, fashion um, catalog kind of stuff you're doing, it would be so prohibitively expensive with film because mm. I don't have a DSLR. I, I mean, I knew people who had them, but I was like, yeah, it's not quite there yet. A DSLR is a digital one? Yeah, digital. Okay. The, 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 the ones that used to be the professional digital camera. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I was like, I don't really, I'm not really set up to do it. Mm. I would need a DSLR to do that, and I'm not sure if I can you know, get one. So I was... Not too sure about the prices because the D- DSLR for several years before, those mm. were like $10,000, $8,000, $5,000. They were coming down. And just about when I was starting to think about it with her, mm. um, the Canon released, the, I think it was a 6, the 350D. Mm. Um, that was the first under $1,000 DSLR. So I could nice. take all my many lenses, yeah. just stick them onto that, and it was all good. Um, so I was like, if you go in for the DSLR, I've got all the lenses, I got all the skills, I'll do your catalog for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's like, cool. So she bought it. That was her investment. I felt like that's fair. So she had a couple models, and she just put the clothes on them, and I did it street fashion style. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't run the studio or anything. And it, it was cool. Um, I don't know if her her business really took off, but once I went DSLR, once I went digital, I was like, I realized I can take street pictures, or take any kind of pictures I want, and it doesn't cost me extra money. Mm. So at that point, I was just like, I eventually did a street fashion blog, or what I now call a street fashion blog. Mm. Um, so taking pictures of the people on the street, what they were wearing, and that became street fashion. So it was kind of documentary, documenting what people were wearing. Were you asking these people, or you were just no, snapping it was just the street? Easier just to, so it was more like sampling from yeah. real people. So I'd... You know, drive by, shoot, walk past people, and just get the. So what I start doing is I'd have them like runway style, like yeah. the the leg up. You know, they're walking, yeah. and I would just cut them off at the mouth, mm. just so you get a sense of their face. But because you're still chosangkwan, um, there's still the right to control your facial image in Korean law. Okay, which gets complex because actually, it's never been a principle of criminal law. It's always been civil law. So what people think of Cho Sangkwon, mm. they say Cho Sangkwon Chime, like violation of my right to control my facial image. Mm. Um, they think that's a criminal offense, but actually it's a civil offense. But so, it's only the face. Yeah, it's your, if you can be identified and receive harm, it's like it's actually kind of the photographic parallel of libel. Mm. Like, okay. like if it harms your reputation. So, so you would take the photos and then later you would just... I just cut them cut off the and face. put them up on the blog. And then... Strangely, um, people used to, more people than I thought were starting to come into this and just wanted to see what people in Korea were wearing. And uh, they started realizing that people were wearing 
really interesting stuff. The th- stuff that people were wearing in 2006 was really wacky mm. by a lot of Western standards. Um, if you're t- talking about Dolce and Gabbana, you know, like the big brands, mm. then what Koreans were wearing was whack. <laughs> what um, was it? Give me some, because I was here at that time, but yeah. what was it? What were they wearing? Like you'd get um, people waiting out in Hongdae, this area, yeah. on a weekend, and girls would get dressed up in their like frilly white dresses, and, um, you know, they're very, very effeminate. They're kind of like prom dresses or yeah, sometimes. They're kind of like see mini prom Friday dresses, and Saturday but, nights. but yeah. you could show. The shoulders, but they, the shoulders would be covered with lace because you can't really show the shoulders full out. Um, and, like, it was a really kind of, basically, it's kind of like a pimped-out princess dress. Okay. But, like, that was a super Korean look. Mm. Or, like, wearing that dress with, like, stockings and sandals, mm. which is, like, whoa. Like, yeah, anyway, that was a super Korean look. Um, um, very frilly, very girly, uh-huh. but also very formal. Um and uh, putting those pictures up of couples out, you know, in mid, you know, talking to each other, hugging, actually even kissing on the street um, was, yeah, kind of an exciting kind of photography. So it was sort of like documentary meets ethnographic view of fashion because it was like what people do in their clothes. Mm. Um, and I felt like that was the most honest form of trying to get what I was, you know, get something about what Korea was about at that time. Did you get any pushback? Did people look at you funny, like walking around with it? Were there other Korean people doing it? Did did people sort of stop and go, hey, this is pretty cool, take some more photos of me? Like, what was the reaction from people to you doing it? Or were they just oblivious? Oh, no one knew. No one knew? Okay. I mean, that was my skill. I, yeah. I mean, you, what you do when you're, even with running with a, um, a big camp, because I was doing that since the beginning with street photography, mm. the, like the Cartier-Bresson, you know, the kind of, you know, um, just in the street, French cafes, okay. people doing things. I yeah. mean, we're used to that kind of photography. They pioneered it, but nobody was asked. And that was part of the trick. Mm. Right? That's what made the thing interesting. So technically what I was doing, while not perhaps ethical, wasn't illegal. Mm. Because I was caught regularly, about once a month or so. I mean, mm. rarely, rarely, I was pretty good at it. Um, I didn't ever hide my camera. That's the whole thing I don't like. I never liked about the word molka, which pretty much, um, the first time I heard the word was in about 2006, mm. in reference to people, like the, the first time molka came up, mm. people forget this, is there was a group of, frankly, pervy guys mm. standing outside Apkujong, mm. one of the stations where the, the, the steps are metal you can come down okay um and you can stand literally under the stairs and shoot up their dress mm. so there's a there there were like meets of guys with very expensive equipment mm. some guys had like super 300 millimeter lenses um wide angle lenses to get the panties under the thing oh, man. and they would just stand there and, and the thing about the interesting thing about the law then is uh like they would they didn't even try to hide it mm. and uh so women would come down and be like, what the hell? What are you doing? And they're just like, yeah, screw you, whatever. Fuck off, lady. Mm. Um, and uh, they'd go to the police station and be like, those guys are shooting panties under the thing. Mm. You know, whatever. And uh, the police would be like, there's nothing we can do. There's not a single law in the books. Jesus. Yeah, so people would be like, oh, but it was without my permission. Doesn't matter. You can sue them in civil court if you receive damages. Yeah. But they 
literally nothing we could do. It was on the news, yeah. and uh, that came up in reference to that initial practice from what I remember. That make your job hard. What you were trying to do harder? Did they like? Not, not really. Actually, okay. because those guys were just straight up assholes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, nobody ever saw me. I mean, I didn't hide my camera. I would have my big DSLR. Mm. I don't know, like maybe this. Is I would hold it. <laughs> this is not a good example. Hold it like this. <laughs> yeah. Just not put it to your eye. Okay. And just, I would just pre-focus, um, and just walk by and do a burst. Somebody was dressed interestingly and just walking by, and then you'd get something usually if you practice enough. But yeah, the thing is, if you don't put the camera to your eye, mm. in those days, people assume you're not shooting, right? So if you, so I would do experiments where, I mean, I'm a foreigner, so it kind of gave me an advantage where I'd put the camera to my eye and look at like something like a building and take a picture of it very loudly mm-hmm. and be like, and then people are like, oh, that foreigner is behaving socially normally from what I expect. He's a foreigner. He's looking at stuff. He's taking a picture. Mm-hmm. Then I put the camera back down here mm-hmm. and I'm still running it. I'm actually taking the real pictures here uh, of the person who may be just standing right in front of me, mm-hmm. but I'll just kind of announce myself and take this big make this motion to take a picture and and I basically my goal was to record their clothing yeah 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 so I didn't do upskirts and all that stuff to I don't want to see panties and everything like that so you get into trouble doing that so I just my blog became known for recording people's clothing mm. and uh, who was looking um I want to ask you who's the I just want to make this one point very quickly is that today in Korea even you you buy a new phone like this S23 thing I've got you take a picture and it makes a clicking sound yeah it by law or it's built in yeah. you know if you want to so when you take photos here today because of all that that the people taking photos of panties illegally um, the men under the steps that any photo you take now is just it makes that sound and, and you I go back to the UK and a message will come up on my phone. Your camera sound has now been disabled because you're outside of Korea. Oh, yeah. Like it knows. And you come back in and you do it and it makes the noise again. That's the law that you have to adjust all these cameras. The funny thing about analog versus like well, what people think happened, it's sort of like film grain. Yeah. Nowadays, the kids like to push the grain slider all the way up because they think that makes it look like what pictures used to look like. Even though film wasn't actually that grainy mm-hmm. you know, back then. But the, similar with... Uh, you know, the camera phone, like actual cameras, the DSLRs are trying to simulate. They, mm. don't, they don't actually sound like that at all. I mean, I have an old Canon T90, mm. which is a tank that makes a big, and it winds the film, and you know that you took a picture. But if you're good, I, I actually did a lot of my street photography, not the fashion stuff, yeah. with the T90. It goes, and it, and it winds the film. And if you do the motor drive, it goes, it's just, it's, ludicrously loud people know you're doing yeah. it yeah but the thing is what i would do lots of uh shots on the subway so what you do is from you know well decades ago you know every time the subway doors close it's mm-hmm. boom they crash close yeah and then it goes right uh-huh. with that kind of cacophony um you time with the door closing no one it's Completely masked. It's like coughing when you fart or something like that. It's just to make sure nobody knows. And if you get used to doing photography, like street photography in a skilled Mm. way, 
the the biggest winding camera sounds don't matter. But uh, who's who's looking? So when you start doing this in the sort of two thousand six seven that area, and you start uploading it as a blog, and who who's looking at it? Is it Korean people? Is it foreign people? Non Korean people. Okay, because the idea of a blog was a foreign. No one had a blog here. I mean. Psy worlds were a thing, but when I would when I start what I started doing is mm. I started becoming less comfortable with the this drive by stuff, and I just wanted to do proper portraiture, yeah, like ethnographic portraiture. I was like, I'm going to change up my style. So I started asking people, and uh, realizing that people will do it if you ask them properly and you explain it. And I'd be I'd be like, oh, I want to take picture of you, mm. like, and they're like, why? I'm not even famous. It doesn't make social. Social, social sense to them. Mm. I'm not famous. I'm not super pretty. Um, why do you want to take a picture of me? Because I want to take because you're wearing nice clothing. I want to put it on the internet, yeah. which doesn't necessarily sound like a good thing to a lot of people back then. But um, I was like, oh, I'm trying to make my blog. They that word existed, mm. and they're like, what's what are you talking about? And I would say it's kind of like a mini home pee mm. on SciWorld, and they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, it's kind of like a magazine online and. It's like it goes out in the West, and Korean fashion is like really cool. I want mm. to put you out there. So I started doing that. It was very difficult in 2006, 2007. But yeah. You were ahead of your time because now the like vlogs or Hongdae street fashion, like YouTube things, and these things are so popular, man. Oh. I, yeah. I think people are aware of it now, but you, you were doing it before it was a thing, I think. Yeah. C can you explain? Ethnography to me. Ethnography. So ethnography, basically, like if you think of anthropology, mm. the, the anthropologist with the, the, with the funny hat and the you know khaki shorts and mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. notepad. Livingston or something yeah, like that. Living with the natives, as yeah. it were, and being a fly on the wall. Mm. That's you know recording what people do, how people live. Ethnography. So the recording the ways of people's lives. Um, so basically... Um, Ethnography is a very hip approach now in social sciences. Um, finally, we've gone away from the pure numbers as the only valid data. Yeah. Um, and now it's gone the other way, where you supplement a lot of that data with actually asking people what they're doing. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so basically I use the pictures to record, you know, re social reality. And there's no better way to do that than with pictures in many ways. Pictures often of women. Yes. And, and so you mentioned uh, hyper-constructed femininity, femininity yeah. and things like this. And uh, I, I said to you before that, or I might have said it in here, that when I see when I see photos, even if I don't know it's yours, I'll, I'll say, like, that's one of Mike's photos. You, you have a signature style. Before we get there, what was it about women? Why did you go that way? Where, where was that focus on... Is, or is that just normal? That's what people take photos of in fashion. Well, I, I pretty like to, women. I like to um, quote a uh, Korean, uh, I guess she's a feminist scholar, more of a visual scholar. Oh. Um, right, because I'm quoting her now. I'm blanking on her name. Anyway, you can, I can add it later. Yeah. Um, put it up on the video. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She said something very, very cool. Um, women, um, as objects of the fashion gaze, women as objects of the visual gaze, um, mm. are the subject and object of the, you know, of the, of the visual, of this gaze. Mm. So basically women are subject and object of the, of the fashion gaze. So 
my thing is, um, which is why Vogue, women, Vogue is about women, mm. women's fashion, and women's fashion, I mean, sets the terms of the fashion conversation. Men's fashion is important, but the the point is when you at Seoul Fashion Week, when the first two days are men's shows, mm. people are like, yeah, okay, cool, cool, men's shows. But when the women's show starts, that's when the real shit starts. Mm. That's what everybody's waiting for. Mm. That's what they pay more for the packages for, mm. right? So Vogue is kind of like the embodiment of that. So my thing is, I I would say women are not only the, the subject, object, and verb. Mm. That's my little addition, uh, the verb of the the fashion gaze. Mm-hmm. Like women, women's bodies are literally the the thing that does things to other things in terms of how we think about aesthetics and what we put on our body. So, mm. I mean, men are not, men are there, but men are not the main thing. Men are not what drove K-pop in the beginning. It was women's bodies that drove that, mm. right? So, I mean, it sounds, you could reduce that down to simply sex cells, but I think you can go back down to... Um, Laura Mulvey and how the male gaze works, the person who made that term. Mm. Um, and, yeah. I'll so, st- start there. Yeah, yeah. So um, sex sells, and we have the gaze, and we have the, the verb, the, that Judith Butler performative aspect of it. You, you have sex in your photos. You, I, no, I don't mean to say it like that, but your yeah. photo seems sexy. That's yeah. that's the better way I would phrase it. Sorry, I, I got that wrong. But I've often looked at Korean stuff, Korean K-pop you mentioned, uh, Korean dramas. Everyone's beautiful, but no one's horny. There's yeah. not much in the way of sex appeal there. Until it, recently. It, until recently. It's changing a little bit, but yeah. incredibly beautiful, but never kind of – you don't see much in the way of desire or lust or that kind of thing. And it always seemed a little bit PG-13 or a yeah. bit kind of Disney. Your photos, they seem to – have the women seem to have agency they seem to be people that i've that i've seen in streets or clubs or things like this right that's very interesting thing about your photography i Uh, think well i mean the thing that you can see easily about the photography like it or not because there are a lot of people who don't like it um what don't they like about it it it's too too, everything you just said it's too sexy it's too direct it's too filled with a male gaze and uh i'm like yep yep and yep uh so I think the thing uh, about uh, about a lot of when I see a lot of Korean fashion photography and Korean versions of Vogue and all that, like there's this acknowledgement of the gaze and the sexuality mm. and of the fact that the woman as object is being gazed upon and you are placed in the position as gazer, which is coded as male, mm. right? Um, that's what Mulvey said a long time ago. Um, but Korean um, photography always acts like it's, that's not really there. It's it's this sort of like coy, it's there, but we're going to all act like it's not really there. Mm. I think what I do with my photography is I just put that front and center and be like, this is what it's all about. Um, and I think also when you think about something, I'm blanking on the name, there's an obscure concept called frontality. Okay. Um, so often when you look at photographic power, mm. um, there's a certain power in being able to gaze at someone mm. and they don't look back, right? So th- basically... It's like voyeurism or yeah. something, yeah. Um, so there, I think what happens in a lot of fashion photography or any photography mm. that's, you know, of pretty people um, is you'll see someone like in a Vogue, you know, a typical Vogue Korea 
uh, layout. Um, I will never be able to photograph for Vogue after this. Um, it, you'll see we're in some item, and the concept is fairy in the forest. Mm. And they're, like, looking off into, like, some light up here. Mm. And it's very pretty, but they're just, they're, they're an object that you can examine with impunity, mm. right? Mm. And the thing that I, people... Because they're not looking at you. They're yeah. gazing off, right? I, I get that. Okay. So that. What, what I think is different is all my pictures... To the point where it becomes almost like that's why people say, "I know what your pictures look like." All of them, they look directly at you. Mm. They they implicate you. They make you pay for your looking. So you can't, yeah, you can't steal the look. You can't steal you, the you look. You can't, yeah. They're, they're, they're yeah. I never noticed that about it actually. That's why people Shit. don't like it or like it. That's the one thing. <laughs> wow. I, th that never clicked on me before. That that's what was happening because you know that I would think of other things, but never got to me and that's kind of empowering isn't it it, I it, think so. it, it it gives power to the woman or to the to the person that you're shooting in that because she's participating and it, it's very interesting actually that that kind of defeats the idea or it, it it's resistance against the the molko or things like that it's yeah. like i'm looking at you looking at me it's yeah. returning it like so i mean imagine the feel the jolt you'd get you know the typical example is um, Norman Bates in uh, Psycho, right? Hitchcock, mm. very guilty of the male gaze and the way he set that up. Yeah. Is it puts you in the position of, you know, Norman Bates is looking through the hole where yeah. he's examining the person he's obviously going to kill. Mm. She doesn't know she's being looked at, right? And you, as the observer, get to bask in that power, mm. right? But imagine she's getting undressed and whatever, and she looks directly into the hole and mm. catches you. Your heart's going to jump. You're going to be, oh my God, I got caught. Mm. That's, I think, the difference so mm -hmm. um, that's why even with models I shoot if they're like doing something some kind of pose and they experienced models will be like they know they're looking right into the camera mm. they'll hear the camera and they'll also look off they'll, they'll alternate they know what the deal is yeah um, but I'll generally sh choose the ones where they're looking at the camera and with models that I shoot continuously they mm. realize those are going to end up being the A cuts okay the B cuts for other Instagram you know, purposes. Maybe the second picture in the carousel of the Instagram. Mm. Um, but the first one will be looking directly into it. And that's what all my street fashion subjects were doing. Um, and that's where a lot of the earlier street fashion stuff um, was somewhat doing, but somewhat not doing. So, like, if you look at Scott Schumann, the sartorialist mm -hmm. who made street fashion photography and as a practice very famous... A when was of, that? When was that was Scottish like 2010, 11, wow, something like that. that's recent. Yeah, so mm. late, a little bit later. I mean, eight, nine, I don't know, something like that. Mm. But like not the early 2000s. Um, but he would use an 85 millimeter lens at 1.8 and they have tight depth of field. Mm. That's his camera, the 5D Mark II. And, you know, that's why street fashion photographers in the late 2000s in Korea mm. Everybody bought a 5D Mark II in addition to that camera being useful for having uh, manual audio controls for video. Um, but also, it was Scott Schumann's camera. Um, 85 millimeter, 1.8 lens was the big lens. And you, that's the difference with that kind of photography is to 85 millimeters, mm. to take the very nice portraits with the tight depth of field, mm. what Koreans call out focusing. Um, okay. You that, have to be. That's like where the person pops in the background yeah, is blurry. Yeah. Okay. You have to be way like back. Yeah. Way back. I mean, like, 
all the way across the end of a very large room, kind of back to get them full body. Okay. Right. And a lot of his are three quarter shots because you can't get full body. You have to be across the street basically. Mm. Um, but there, there's a certain way that, I mean, they can be looking directly into the lens, but they tend not to be when you're looking at across the street distance. Yeah. Right. You're gazing upon that person as a fashion object. Mm. They're not so much, they didn't establish a relationship with you as a gazer. Mm. So I shoot wide angle and you'll see in a lot of my pictures, People used to kind of be like, what the hell is this guy doing? I'd get like a 18 millimeter, 14 millimeter lens and literally go down on the ground and shoot with a camera touching the ground straight up. Mm. And usually the woman, she's, and I used to have, I started getting a radio slaved flash. Um, so a radio remote. Yeah. And have an assistant or a stand hold the flash up here. Okay. Because mm. what happens is even if you're looking, even with somebody with a very short skirt, you can't get panties. It's the best way to prevent panties creeping in there. You shoot from a high angle, mm. and it creates a shadow. Even if you can see the panties, it's not going to come out in the picture mm. because it's going to create this huge shadow because the light's coming down. Models know that you're not getting panties. Mm. Everyday people might be like, yo, 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 whoa, whoa, back up, dude. <laughs> but, I mean, it became – it's a very intimate kind of um, – portrait mm. because you get the full body in the frame yeah they look ridiculously tall their legs look long and it also makes their heads super small which is exactly what korean women like so small head and long legs and yeah. things that's the thing yeah and yeah if you if you want to make a person who's 158 centimeters mm. look stupid tall and imposing you shoot wide you shoot scott schumann and they look like the size that they are, mm. right? Um, mm. Especially if they're at scale uh, next to something recognizable, like a car, yeah. a fire hydrant. You know how tall they are. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's I think, a key difference. I saw this interesting statistic. I was doing some research into, uh, like, online dating and Tinder stuff and things mm. like this for a project I was doing. Um, and it, I, I never forget, it said that, women's the most successful photos for online dating for women was when they're looking at the camera right that's the ones that's going to get the most responses for men it was when they're looking away mm. so the woman is if the, the successful photos for women are when they're looking at the camera and they have like a playful or something like that i can't remember all the details but i just remember reading for men it was looking away the men is not meant to look mm. at the camera it's meant to be a side or a profile thing that's uh, interesting that's the frontality thing i think coming in there because it used to be, uh, way back in the days of National Geographic, mm. that there was a certain kind of power in being able to take a person's picture, but they don't look back. Like you, it's just like they're... So I think that with women's pictures, a lot of times people are kind of afraid to look into the lens. Mm -hmm. it, it exhibits a little bit too directness mm -hmm. because you want to look to mirror off into the side or something like that. Yeah, And with men, it's like... I am looking at you <laughs> frontally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm you don't get to look at me without you know me knowing about it. Mm. Yeah. So that kind of makes a lot of sense in terms of That was always I, I saw it in like South Park or something. Like let's gaze off into the distance when we do our rock band yeah, photos or, exactly. or, or or that kind of stuff. And over here I've been to so many um 
South Korean photo studios for like weddings and our kids and things like that. And they love the concepts and they love being in the studio and all the photos. They all kind of look the same after a while. Yeah. You know, all the families get the same photos. They do the fairy off in the distance and you dress them up as little um, Victorian English children. And then you do this concept. Mm. They love these studio photos over here. And it's a very big part of the culture, especially for families and young people. Where does where does the street come into it for you? I, it, this mm. is like the ethnography, I, I guess, but it seems to be most of your photos are, um, they're not in the most, it, it's not like affluent, glitz, sparkling, because you can get those photos here and maybe some of them are, but I normally associate them with like um, uh, alleys and uh, and floors and brick yeah. and street. Where, where, where does that come in? I think that comes in recently. Um, so right now, the way that a lot of people in the uh, who take who want to take pretty pictures think of pretty pictures is mm. in those the k-pop kind of thing where you're perfect your photoshop is you know every th aspect of your picture is vogue you know cover model perfect mm. which i think is kind of becoming stale because we're entering the i mean ai has been with us for a while not just with mid-journey and chat gpt but all of these apps that can change your face. Yeah. But also the thing that really has improved that a lot of people don't think about is skin smoothing is fucking amazing now because to do proper skin smoothing, I use a Russian retoucher when I do professional work because I don't have this. A Russian me. retoucher. Yeah. Okay. So the Russian retouchers, which kind of became an issue with the, with the war because they tried to they right. cut off all the yeah. so my my retoucher was no longer able to use paypal and all these things happen but she's like no i'll still retouch your stuff but you have to get the money to my friend and i'll get it you know. oh it's that's not an app but it, 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 it's an actual russian person that oh yeah, 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 yeah sorry i misunderstood <laughs> it i thought it was like you know papa go or russian retouching no it's a person so the wow. so to do proper retouching of a face there's a lot of techniques. I mean, to, to make basically to smooth out the skin, mm. but preserve the texture. Mm. That's actually really difficult to do. The early apps would just smooth your skin over, just like yeah, like with like a digital like uh, butter knife, mm -hmm. just and it, it smooth it over, and it just looks super fake and plastic. Mm. But a human retoucher who's really good at it, the the stuff that we see all the time on the cover of Vogue, mm. um, that looks natural. But it can people do complain about the fact that oh it's maybe too overdone because we can't tell what's real, but the reason you can't tell it's not real is because real professionals have looked it over, mm. and uh, they keep the skin texture proper. Mm. Um, so my Russian retoucher, I send I send her you know some files for when I have clients that want to have a portfolio done. Mm. Um, I, I do a headshot. I'm like I don't even want to talk about my. Photoshop skills. I'm not qualified. I send her the shots, mm. $15 a shot. Mm. Um, she sends them back. Um, and she can do things like she can remove braces without a trace, <laughs> no trace of braces. Um, she can change things. Um, she can add and remove hairs in different parts of the face. So that kind of stuff, mm. that's what professionals do. But mm. nowadays, Face App, for example, which I use, their skin smoothing isn't that level but it's in between what it used to be and i guess top level you can skin smooth and it looks it preserves texture mm -hmm. that's all ai um but using that kind of stuff 
the big the big uh, thing on TikTok at the moment. Cause I've been doing some research on that mm. and stuff. Is a uh, is a uh, teenage there's this teenage thing and you look into it and it shows you when you're a teenager on the top mm. and bottom in real time mm. and it's messed up because it, it's not a Russian retoucher levels yeah. but it's pretty good and you, you get lots of people standing there with their mum and then they turn on the effect and the mum sees her face all touched up and things like that and you just see them like crying or seeing what they looked I like I haven't seen myself they, since yeah. yeah yeah that is kind of interesting um, before we get on to the actual uh, models or, or, or the women and the people that you work with. Hey, we're not getting on to women. <laughs> <laughs> I get my language wrong all the time, no, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's this idea of how how much of it is real then? Because if you're doing this street photography and it's about getting it real and it's about getting it uncut, or maybe I'm misunderstanding it, that's mm. why I'm asking you, it's like getting the real uncut, but then then you retouch it and you do it this to make them longer than they are and taller than they are. Where's the line between the reality and the fantasy? And you, do you, Maybe I have this naive romantic idea mm. of what street fashion is or street mm. photography. Do, do you ever come into like debate how much it should be real and how much work you should do on the images? Um. Do you get what I, I mean? What I'm, I'm trying too, to ask you? But frankly, no. I'm too lazy to work over images. So I just try to take my whole thing is very analog mm. um, focused or oriented. I just try to take the perfect picture with the lighting, angle, shutter. Everything is perfect. One shot. Mm. JPEG, no raw. I just don't want to waste the space or time. Um, and uh, yeah, I just to when you do professional work, like a headshot for somebody's um, comp card, mm. their model portfolio card, it's got to be worked over. Not too much, but you can't be leaving pimples and obvious things in there. So nothing is real. Now, a person's digitals, mm. like just they're straight shots of them wearing like, you know, basic black jeans and like a T-shirt or something, um, which are supposed to show what they look like in reality, that's mm. different, but... You have to work fashion stuff. You have to work over. But uh, my thing is the Korean, the K-pop aesthetic of beauty is too perfect. Yeah. And it's uninteresting. So um, that's why as I, my aesthetic has always been street, kind of documentary. Mm. But it's hard. The thing that's frustrating about that, it's hard to capture that perfect moment by just by waiting for it to happen with somebody um, you know, waiting around the corner. It starts feeling creepy, too. Mm. So um, as I went with uh, the portraiture, I went to the studio direction and started having models come in and do concepts that, you know, evoked these kind of things in gender and culture. Mm. And as uh, as I connected with the huge avalanche of wannabe um Instagram models here, mm. a lot of whom are not doing the same thing that are, that's going on in the States, which is just like thirst trapping and trying to get all the hits. There's a lot of that, but there are people who are trying to do, a lot of the Instagram models in Korea are trying to do concepts. Mm -hmm. They're basically doing mini editorials for like a theoretical magazine. Um, and what you start noticing is the, the hashtags in these concepts um, tend to be really gritty. The back alleys, mm. the... Um, what's a really common theme these days is, you know, women who have like bruises and bleeding on their face Oof. and, uh, you know, so that's, 
that's part of the whole, in a way, the gangster yeah. genre of films in Korea. You know, the high school girl who's a tough girl is bullied, and she, she gets slapped by someone. Her face turns around, she looks back, and she's angry, mm. and there's a little blood there. And then she gets into a scuffle, and she looks a little scuffed up, but she won the fight. So that's one of the, the concepts I did recently with a model on Instagram. And she always is doing stuff like that. Um, so that kind of aesthetic is called hashtag me. Yeah, so like the beauty of kind of grunge, the beauty of like decay, mm-hmm. of a fallen aesthetic. So, so me is the beauty. Me. Taepe uh, is like decayed. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Because your photos, just to compare them, and you, you've got so many photos, so I haven't seen them all. I do apologize. Like, mm-hmm. But the, the ones that I have seen recently and be, trying to prepare to talk to you, the people in your photos, they have face piercings they have mm. tattoos they smoke cigarettes uh they're standing around beer they might have condom packets in their hand or mm. something like this that's very different from the k-pop aesthetic it is it is kind of i'm not sure what the word is maybe it's this decayed aesthetic because it's it's kind of like grungy or it has this kind of but it's it's almost sexier than the k-pop thing is i Do feel you, like that i mean you, you mentioned the one with the the condom was that a condom packet or not? The was condom kind packet, of ripping yeah. it with a mouth, yeah. So I feel like if I want to have a sexy concept, so that was actually for a jewelry brand. She was wearing this um, jewelry piece that it was this, uh, was it a titanium hammer? Okay. So basically, it was, you have to miss that. Just saw the condom with the piercing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So <laughs> she's got this hammer there. The makeup guy, the 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 jewelry guy, yeah. was yeah. like. Uh, their whole thing, what do they call What's the jewelry brand? Crap. Um, we'll edit it in there. Yeah, it's very, like, it's a very, like, edgy name. Okay. Um, and they're all about, like, yeah, we want we want you to do the stuff that you do with to make our stuff look cool. Mm-hmm. So, and that model, she's all, she's got piercings, tats, and the whole thing. She was like, yeah, I want to do all that stuff. I'm Her cool with Hannah. 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 Yeah. So, I was like... Um, Okay, if I'm gonna get a close-up shot of her face, mm. what would be a edgy thing for someone to be doing? And I'm just like, so thinking about the angle, mm. there's something uh, semiotically edgy, bold, um, perhaps too much, mm. almost pornographic. But see, my my whole trick is, I don't like to show people doing things on camera, like kissing, tonguing. I don't obviously body parts go into other body parts. Mm. Implication, I think, is much better. So um, I take the camera angle up, and she's down on the ground looking up into the camera. Mm. That implies a sort of sexual relationship position. Mm. Mm. One is a w- woman kneeling vis a vis the male, the ostensible male in the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, she's got the condom package half ripped open as she's. You know, so what's about to happen here? Yeah, yeah it makes sense <laughs> to me. Now I never. See. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then in the background, it's pretty edgy stuff. Yeah, and all she's doing is ripping open a piece of plastic mm. and doing something that most kids should know how to do at this point if they've got a proper sex education. Mm. I mean, you're not actually doing anything in the thing, in the picture, but it's like, oh my god, that's beyond the pale. Yeah. So. 
yeah, that's one way I kind of stick my middle finger to um, that kind of propriety. But actually, no one's done anything on camera. Mm-mm-mm. There's no nipples. There's no. There's not even anything really being shown. But I get a reputation for my my um, feet as being really risque. Mm. And I'm like, if you look at it in Korean, people talk about no chu no money. So I've heard this from models that I DM. I'm like, hey, you want to collab? Mm. And they're like, oh, no chu no money. I'm like, too much no too much exposure of mm. sensitive parts. And I'm like, actually, if you look at my feed, you'll notice that there's not a lot of no chu. Mm. There's not a lot. There's a lot of implied things. Like, it feels very naughty to like have the person kneeling. In relation mm-hmm. to the camera and ripping up a condom package, there's not even actually a condom in there. That's just the package. So, um, I noticed this in the glory mic, which was that I don't know if you saw it, but I, I I did some work on it, which is the new big drama at the moment with Song Egyo, and um, in that drama, the bad guys in it, mm. they have sex. They have sex because they're bad, and they're bad because yeah. they have sex. And Song Egyo and her partner, they live in the same kind of house together. They cook each other breakfast. They they talk to each other. They might occasionally kind of t- hold a hand, but they don't have sex. They don't have sex because they're good, and they're good because they don't have sex. Yeah. And that 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 portrayal is still kind of predominant. It's it's hard in Korea, I find, in mainstream culture, in, yeah. in that kind of thing, to be sexually active or have agency and be an ambiguous character it's yeah. like it, it's still associated with negativity and the good characters way. don't have sex like that yeah that's really a strong cultural bias to a huge fault so you you're you set off a memory mm. um so i was in i taught uh, inside a the korea the first korean boarding school um and uh yes. boys or girls or both both both. Oh, yeah. Shit. So that was a tough sell for some a lot of parents. Yeah. And it's so basically, so I went to Phillips Academy Andover, which um, they modeled um, their disciplinary policy off of our Blue Book. Mm-hmm. We had this thing called the Blue Book, and it was like the Bible of discipline, like all the official rules. Mm. Like if you wanted f- to not get caught doing something, you'd look it up in the Blue Book, Section One, you know. Mm. And that sort of thing. So they were like, we're going to like use Andover's Blue Book to like base our disciplinary policies on. And I was like, that's, and they asked me about it. They were like, you went there. What do you think of that? And I was like, that's a horrible idea. They're like, well, why? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the Blue Book, all the rules are based off a basic idea that we have a certain degree of autonomy as young adults. Mm-hmm. And, and the rules in relation to sexual well, not sex, but like you know, possible intimate romantic relations between young young people mm. is we had this thing called parietals. So you'd it was different depending on your house, but mm. the house counselor would have make up a set of rules. Depending on your grade, you could like bring a girl as a guy into the room and be alone together with the door closed, and be, even be in the bed together doing things. Mm. And there was a very strong kind of sex education policy and support. Network. So if you ended up getting pregnant, they didn't treat it as a disciplinary thing. They were like, how can we help you solve this problem? Like, what do we do? Mm. It wasn't like you're kicked out. Mm. So I was like, you can't adopt the booba because the policy of this school was no sexual relations of any kind. So their, their whole zero tolerance thing was um, 
If you hold hands, you're kicked out. If you found out that you're dating in any way, you're automatically kicked out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is going to lead to disaster because you're either going to stick to the policy and make and destroy the you know, faith of the students, mm. or you're going to start making excuses and exceptions, and that's going to destroy your authority. Yeah. And they were like, no, no. And I was like, kids are going to fuck. <laughs> I was like, straight up, they're, they're, puberty is when your body pumps you full of four times the testosterone or estrogen that you mm. that you will have later in your life and basically soaks every cell in your body in like sex juice mm. that's what puberty is it's like your werewolves of sex i mean that's a good concept <laughs> being done is <laughs> like there's no way to stop it if, yeah, yeah the best thing to do is to educate kids so they don't get knocked up so that they don't get stds Right, you you put the fear of God into them with yeah. you know actual education, yeah. and they're like. So the person I was talking to was like, "No, that's not going to happen," and I was like, "They're going to have sex," mm. and her actual words to me was, "Good students don't have sex," yeah. and and I was like, "Yo, don't make me tell you things," mm. because um, the foreign teachers at that boarding school started becoming the antenna and ears for all of the real deal stuff on the campus. Mm. And uh, so I had this young Japanese major, I don't even know if that's important information or sensitive information at this mm. point. Um, she was like the bad girl in the school and uh, she was in my podcasting club. Um, and she was she just loved to tell all. <laughs> um, and she was like, oh yeah, there's a, there's a um, love motel in Bundang that only caters to underage kids. Oh man. That's where everybody goes to fuck. And I was like, oh, really? That's interesting. Because she knew I wasn't gonna snitch, so they mm-hmm. would they would tell things to me. And I, I said this to the person. I was like, you know, I'm trying to shock her into reality. I said to this teacher, you know, there's actually a love motel in Bundang mm-hmm. where kids go to have sex. They're having sex at this school. I know kids who are having sex. And she was like, who? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, this isn't a disciplinary problem. Mm. I'm not going to snitch on no kids, but you need to deal with this as a health education issue. If you want to use blue book rules, mm. otherwise this shit's going to fall apart. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah, that attitude of good students don't have sex was a huge issue. Now the government is doing everything it can to make people have sex. It's like, give us babies. Like, <laughs> yeah. you avoid your military service or yeah. do what you've got to do to get out of it. Um, and I, I, I think it should also be pointed out that if you, if you went back like a few decades in the United Kingdom, where I'm from, or maybe the US, they would have been pretty Puritan sometimes yeah. in their attitudes. Well, I mean, they're in different trajectories, aren't they? I mean, if you think about the US right now, right this second, the David statue in Florida and yeah yeah it's mental man yeah it's, it's a, I can't really beat up on Korea for the sake of beating up on Korea for, on that but at the same time when you talk about aesthetics mm. you talk about the beauty and the, 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 the all that stuff there is this sense that sex is bad yeah but you know in fashion you can't be a fashion industry and not mitigate the sexual drive because mm. it's there um, and you gotta Sometimes you you have to have a sexy concept, and even that idea in Korean photo talk, sexy concept, concept, sexy doesn't mm. necessarily mean as sexy as here, as in as in the states. But mm. um, 
Yeah, it's definitely a thing you can propose. Like, let's do a thing like with, you know, like a student uniform, which is a popular, that's the main mode of arguing a certain kind of a coy, feminine, like, sexuality. When I was at university, like, school discos were a huge thing. Like, university mm-hmm. students, we'd dress up and go to them. But, yeah. yeah, it's big over here as well, isn't it? The oh, the, the, the kyobo, the schoolgirl yeah. uniform, is literally a mode of femininity unto itself. Like, as you can see in the the extreme fetishization of the, the schoolgirl, mm. the high school girl who's bad, she smokes, and that's a huge thing. The Lolita the, thing. Yeah. The smoking is a thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And that's why it comes up a lot in my photography because in Korean culture, smoking, like, similar to like people who have sex, mm. smoking is for bad people, for whores, because it's, it's a very gendered thing. Mm. It's, not, it's not a bad thing necessarily for men, but women who smoke, because you know, in the times we were talking about the 90s, women used to hide out in the bathroom and smoke like yeah. crazy, chain smoke like crazy. It was also a weight loss, um, weight control thing. But... Um, yeah, that's why a lot of my pictures, the ones who want to do the bad concept, mm. they're like, oh, can I smoke? In fact, the recent round of pictures I took with this model who's walking at Fashion Week, mm. um, so she's more of one of the pro models um, these days. Um, she was really sheepish because she, she was doing all these bad looks. and I mean, her whole look from... That when I saw her on the run, the ramp out there yeah. at DDP was like this bad girl leather jacket, wet hair look. That's okay. one of the trends I was kind of trying to get. I was like, you do this wet hair look, and you're obviously a model because you're six feet tall, and you have the look, and she's super talented. So we went actually off to the side, not on the DDP ramp, to like mm. shoot in the street. Mm. And uh, I was like, you're throwing this like super 90s heroin chic, bad back alley, like, I'm about to, like, fight you kind of mm. vibe. And, like, that, she, she's throwing that, and she's like, oh, I'm very sorry, but do you mind if I smoke? So she meant to just take a smoke in between yeah. shooting, and she went sneak off to the side, and she was hiding the fact she was smoking. I was like, you know, I really don't care at all. She's like, really? I don't want to get the smoke on you. She's super polite. Mm. And uh, I'm like, I don't care. You know, if you want to smoke in the shot, Seems like that's kind of your personality. It's heroin shake, right? Yeah. There. And she was like, "Can I?" I was like, "Listen, we're gonna work together more. You don't have to hold any shit back." Mm. So <laughs> she just started. So she just said, "As long as I don't bother you with the smoke," I was like, "Just get over it and just do your thing." And mm. she just was smoking. It was just. I was like, "That's actually much better than any of the stuff we just shot up to." You are putting that out there. Um, and that's her real personality. That's but honest. That's the, but the thing is, that's really different in terms of social change. Um, if we subtract, we go back 15 years, which seems like a long time, but it's not that long ago. Mm. Like a lot of people, there wouldn't, even if they're like, are those people, hardcore, you know, like edgy, dark personalities, they would never be caught dead smoking in public, mm. let alone on camera. So... That in itself is a big change because a lot of the younger, um, like I want to do edgy concepts models are like, I want to smoke on camera, Mm. which is, so that brings up another issue of agency because the question I get often is, why do you make your models smoke? And this is, this comes from American white women generally Mm -hmm. who sometimes write a separate 
DM or even an email and are like, I have a problem with how you're promoting smoking and you're making your models do all these things. And I'm like, (laughs) back up, back the fuck up. (laughs) First of all, why are you assuming that I, as the male photographer, possess all the agency here? Yeah. Like, why are you assuming that this is my concept to begin with? Mm. And why you assume I'm making anyone doing anything? So who's got the weird assumptions here? Mm. Like, who's actually got extremely gendered, sexist assumptions about how these photographs are made? Because I'm just like, in many of the cases, especially in Korea, there's this notion, somewhat orientalist, simplistic notion that Korean women are a certain way mm. and they would never do certain things. Mm. Especially older Korean people have these ideas. Yeah. So when they see like people doing, if they happen to see a picture of Korean women doing these things, they assume it must be because I, as the American, made them do these things. Corrupted the youth. Yeah, right. and I'm like, trust me. <laughs> I'm just pushing buttons. I'm just trying to keep up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have my own tendencies and my own aesthetic preferences, but I'm just matching. The reason they even gravitate towards me on mm. Instagram is that I'm just matching. We're matching our aesthetics. Yeah. Like most, even like innocent, there are some models who are like, I want to do innocent, pretty things. I'm like, yeah, that's good for me to do because I don't do a lot of the innocent, pretty, you know, like sniffing a flower. You know, <laughs> That's a huge thing. I did see a couple of videos of what I was like, is that really your one? I'd stop and go like, wow, that's really different. But I try to switch it up a little bit. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Let me, um, I, as, as somebody that used to smoke a lot, if I watch a drama or a movie, I can tell if that character is actually smoking the cigarette or not. Do you know what I mean? If they're taking it down, yeah. or if they're used to smoking, you can see someone and they never actually take a drag or it always cuts away yeah. at the right time. So I'm, I'm, I'm used to seeing people smoking authentically and people not. And in your photos, people are smoking authentically. It's not being yeah. used as a prop. You can see yeah. how they can and do smoke. Just to go on this, when I first arrived, I used to teach this uh, uh, a businesswoman in Gwangamun in the big Judy Free building, in the Tongwa Judy Free building. And we used to go down and smoke cigarettes during break because I used to teach with her for like an hour and a half. I was teaching her English. and We'd go down halfway and we'd smoke cigarettes. But she'd say to me, I'd only been here a couple of months. She'd say to me, if anyone comes up to me, just pretend I'm Japanese. Because men would slap her in the street. She, yeah. You know, she, this was what she told me. I never saw the slaps, but she was. She told me, if anyone comes up to me, just pretend I'm Japanese or, or do that. Or speak loudly in English. Or speak loudly in English because she would get physically assaulted by people who would find it offensive for her to be smoking out in the street. And that's not that long ago. Now it's very empowering at the university. You see all the women smoke. Not all the women. I see lots of young women smoking and cigarettes on the table. Can I ask you about this? Because... You mentioned it briefly a little bit, but about how shoulders are sexy in Korea mm. and things like in these traditional things. And it is changing. Crop tops have become a thing yeah. now. But like some of my students will say, crop tops are okay, but under boob is too much. And they're having these discussions. But yeah. we went to a Nepalese wedding and my wife was wearing a tradition. My wife's Korean, but she was wearing a traditional Nepalese dress that they prepared for her. Shows the neck and shoulders. And my wife was like, I can't show my shoulders. Do you know what I mean? Like she, mm. she would wear mini skirts and hot pants, but she's like, I can't show my shoulders. Get me a shawl. Yeah. And so she did. And so there are these culturally different things about what's sexy. And Koreans don't want to show up here, the cleavage. Yeah, they'll, cleavage. They'll, they'll protect this. Yeah. They'll have hot pants on. It is a bit different here, isn't it? What's sexy, what's not? Do you have any insight into some of those things or what some of those things are? I just feel like uh, from what I – because I've been here since it was, yes, okay. I think that's a lot of things – 
that's the sort of Korea people have forgotten about, when it was perfectly okay to slap a woman in the street for smoking, mm. who you don't know, and you're putting your hands on a person in a what would be now considered a assault, <laughs> right? But it was just like if you went to the police station like that guy, I mean, mm. he didn't punch you in the face, but he slapped you, you know, as a warning. I mean, he'd be taken away, but now, uh, but back then, it was just like, well, well, you shouldn't have been smoking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why were you smoking? Violent. Though. Yeah. And uh, all of those things, I feel like those, when you look at smoking in cultural context here, mm. that's a reason, I think, why so many young women who want to be badasses, their first move is, I want to smoke. And a lot of them actually do smoke. So, um and uh, let's talk about some of the models, yeah. if we can, because a lot of people might have these vision of Korea but through K dramas and things like that. Yeah. What, what can you tell us about the, the women that you work with? As it's Sabasa, everyone's different, but like, wh what about these women, these Korean women? Uh, so, w going back to like the picture booths and the studios, and so the thing that Korean young people have, especially women, is this hugely developed photographic visual habitus, habitus right? Um, I got dragged on uh, Korean social media for saying habitus. <laughs> They're like, it's French, it's habitus. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not trying to be a dick and pronounce French words pr properly as an American. <laughs> this is cultural but, appropriation, uh, but... Habitus, so like the kind of embodied knowledge you have about certain things, like an accent that you've picked up going to a fancy Harry Potter style school is a sort of educational embodied habitus. Mm, yeah. And you know, if you're raised on picture booths, if you're raised on um, the cell phone cameras in the, the Samsung days, because a lot of the people who are, you know, early 20s now, they were once, they, even back in like early 2000s, they had cell phones on their cameras because mm. Korea was first with that being, you know, easy to access. Um, Psy World, a whole bunch of other photographic practices. Um, the idea that you can just sit up in the subway and just do, you know, like hardcore selfie um, work and not be embarrassed about that. That's, not at all. That's part of the Korean habitus. Yeah. <laughs> right? So um, that was a prelude to, I'm blanking on your question a little bit. Like the women that you, yeah. So we spoke a little bit. I, I think about Hannah, but when you're with, because these are real Korean young women today, yeah. right? And so I'm just trying to get like, so they smoke, and do you get any other sense from them? Is there like, well, if you're going to shoot young Korean women in Korea like this, what, yeah. what's part of the abitus? What, what do they? What do you need to know? What goes on with these people? What vibe do you get from them? Who are they? And well, I who's, think, who's contacting you? I think the what the what's driving them is a similar thing that's driving, um, you know, folks outside of Korea, um, which is they want to get the street cred, they want to get the followers, they want to get the likes, they want to be more popular, mm. and it's very monetized here in a way that it isn't in the States. Because, you know, a lot of influencers, they try to front like they make money. Mm. American influencers, unless you're at a higher level, you don't really make any money. You don't really live off that shit. I mean, it, you'd have to really convince me that there is, I mean, you're getting some, you're, you signed a contract, you're getting money from some big company. I think in the, in the States, there tends to be that level of 
you know, commercialization on Instagram if you have a certain number of followers. Right. But at the bottom level, you're just doing Fashion Nova. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why the uh, whole, like, oh, the jewelry people who send you the whole things. Hey, if you collaborate with us, we'll send you the jewelry only 50% off. And it's basically a way of maintaining the fantasy that you're an influencer, but mm-hmm. you're basically a consumer. Yeah. You're a customer. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the, it, so for to talk about the Korean end of things, you have to talk about pay modeling. The pay pay model. Okay. That's a hashtag in a thing. Right. Um, a Korean pay e model. Um, so you've got everyday girls. Like they're everyday. They're not an agency. They're not in any special status. Mm. 22-year-old kid in college. Kind of cute. Kind of pretty. Um, you know, got something going and has... You know, before going into pay modeling, maybe what is the average number of followers you may have? 600. If you have a lot, 800, 900, mm-hmm. probably 334, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, that's what normal people have. Um, but you start um, getting requests. You start posing for the, the basically a guild of highly developed, very advanced amateur male photographers in mm-hmm. Korea who uh, – Meet in these things called uh, Chusa uh, Studios, Chusa Sajinjaka, mm-hmm. Chusa photographers. So basically, guilds of photographers who, before Instagram, like in the early 2000s, would go on like down cafes and um, they would organize these shoots with like racing models, mm. the ones who were, the, you know, at their car shows and stuff. It's like semi professional models. Um, and they'd get really hot racing models. Mm. Um, and studios or certain enterprising, excuse me, men would uh, book them for like $500 an hour. And if you're a racing model, you're like, you're going to pay me hundreds of dollars an hour to do what I do normally? Fuck yeah. Okay. And go to a rental studio. And what they do is, mm. you know, everybody gets like a, you know, 30, 40, you know, a minute, 30, 30 seconds mm. shooting with that person. And you get your one-on-one time. So it looks like you are just shooting that person mm. and you get your shots and you look really cool. Um, but these guilds of Chusa photographers, they were very highly developed. Um, and uh, that was before um, Instagram. Then Instagram hit Korea, like, for the most part in 2014. And it was just like, if you, you could easily turn your Instagram prettiness, your your follower counts to a lesser extent into doing photo shoots with individual photographers. Mm. You didn't have to share anymore. So it was a good thing. So a good, a normal um, pay model who does like daily, you know, basically like fashionable, casual kinds mm. of wear, not showing a lot, might get 35,000 won an hour. Um, booked in, you know, groups of three hours. What's 35 times 3? 105? Yeah. Um, so 105 per shoot. I'm going to have to get to my calculator here. And maybe you do a couple of those on the weekdays and one on the weekend. Let's say, let's say you do three yeah. a week. 300,000? Hun- uh, 105 times 3. 315? Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're quicker than me. So 315 times 4 for the month. What? Uh, 1,200 and then something with all the so 15 like 1. 1. up. So yeah. like 1.2 mil yeah. a month, yeah. which if you live at home and, uh, you know, 
it's much better than going to a coffee shop and making that money. Yeah. Um, and you're doing what you want to do, and you increase your social cred, your street cred, your social capital, you all that stuff. Pretty. You get you people pretty. telling you pretty you, all the you time. You get to be a model, yeah. right? And you're not asking your parents for any spending money. Because if you're doing basic stuff, mm. um, that's cool, 35000 or so. Add a little bit of fishnet stockings, shorter skirts, maybe 50000 or so. A little bit more risque, a little bit more. Um, a lot of the, the male photographers, Korean male photographers, want you to wear like a Sailor Moon uniform, like bringing uniforms, putting like fetishy stuff on you. You're talking 75, 100,000 mm. an hour. It's getting towards cosplay stuff, yeah. is it? So when you do, when you're a hardcore cosplay, yeah. uh, which is actually where a lot of these guilds of photographers um, really gravitated towards. Yeah. Um, because you get lots of young, extremely pretty, often underage girls who are putting on extremely crazy fetish stuff. And you're like, hey, I'll be your photographer. Come meet me in the cafe and be my special friend or whatever. Mm. But anyway, that fits the need. Um, and if you can charge, if you're willing to wear like the Japanese monokinis and like the crazy fetish wear. Manokinis. Oh, monokinis. So basically like. It's the Borat thing. Yeah, the, it's the Borat thing, except it's basically <laughs> enough fabric to cover your pudendum. That's mm. it. It's very revealing. If yeah. you can handle that, you're talking 150,000 an hour, uh, maybe 200 if you can pull that off. Let's say you're pulling off 200,000 an hour in blocks of three, mm. 600,000 a shoot. And I know a couple models who are so booked solid, you can't even you can't even get a, a slot in. Um, they're like one up every weekday in the evening, two up morning, evening, morning, evening on wow. the weekends. We're talking ten shoots a week at, let's say, five hundred thousand a shot. Instagram is big business, isn't yeah. it? For everyday people, not you know, like up there. Not you're not a Kardashian. Mm. You're not yeah, signing Jenny. formal contracts. You're not doing any of that stuff. So, I mean, if you want it, you can kind of adjust the meter to where you're comfortable. Mm. Um, but there are a lot of people doing this. Because you mentioned mankinis and things like this, I got a couple of really good questions from Elle on Twitter. She always sends in amazing questions. This was one that I would never have thought of. Is there a Harajuku in Korea? No. No. Um, so Harajuku, and, and then I had, Harajuku is like a, it's a bridge in Tokyo where people cosplay. Yeah. Uh, like getting it right. The Yoyogi Park area. I went there once, so I figured it out. Okay. <laughs> but there's no, har there's no Harajuku now. I mean, there is, but there, it's gone. Oh, In fact, right. um, Shoichi Aoki, the man who was behind Fruits, and like the reason we know anything about Japanese fashion, that was all his work. Fruits. Fruits is like the magazine he published of the Gothic Lolitas and all the crazy, the, the Mamba Girls and all, okay. that, all that stuff. All this, the Japanese crazy fashion that we know is from that guy. Oh, wow. And uh, so he's very famously, I think in 2018, was like, Harajuku is dead. It's officially gone. Mm. And I went around then. I was like, I got what he was saying. Because there's this idea of Harajuku mm. um, where um, you have like the – there was an original Harajuku where you had like these um, disaffected kids who like could express their, you know, otherization in society through their weird clothing. They made this subculture, an actual subculture mm. uh, with different values and – things in the mainstream culture, right? Um, and, like, it was legitimately 
a thing. Like they would get together and, you know, bond and you know, perform social actions through their, you know, their clothes. Yeah. And that was a thing. But now all the kids who dress up that way are just going there because that's what you're supposed to do in Harajuku. It has nothing to do with any subculture. It's just like mm. you go there and you walk around that. It's a, it's like an amusement park. So. It's an aesthetic rather than actual community yeah. and shared culture and yeah. values and stuff. And then his point, well, that's my thing I noticed. Um, his, you can find people who dress up the Harajuku way that you can see in the pictures on the internet. Mm. But his point was there, there's no fashion center there's no culture here. Mm. What killed Harajuku and all that stuff was basically Uniqlo, was basically all the fast fashion outlets, was well, commercialization. Mm. Everybody can dress whatever the way they want to. You don't have to go to Yoyogi Park and like meet your weird like um, subcultural friends and like do your weird stuff anymore. You can just do it anywhere. Mm. Any, anybody can do it. So, but there was never a Harajuku in Korea. Mm, okay. Like, okay. Hongdae is like, I mean, you could, I mean, if they both they both start with H. I once wrote an article called "Move Over Harajuku." Now there's Hongdae, just to be trite and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there isn't there isn't that thing. There's never been that kind of hardcore subculture that of clothing. Maybe there's some punk stuff that I think is more arguably that, but. Mm. Like a Harajuku style actual clothing subculture that is linked to some youth mm. that hang out in a particular place. I mean, a little bit. You could talk about the Hongdae Park, which has now been turned into a place that's physically difficult to like meet inside. Mm. Um, there's like metal coverings and yes. yeah. Um, but that place was never that thing. I mean, if anything. Hongdae Park was a place for youth to come together and kind of just hang out, yeah, drink, bask, drink, yeah. And, yeah. But it wasn't like that in a fashion sense. No, it wasn't. Yeah. So um, there isn't a Harajuku in Korea. The closest I think you could get is Hongdae is a place where there is a more open idea, and people do dress up to go to different neighborhoods in different ways. Mm. So if you want to dress up like a gothic Lolita, or you want to wear the shortest legal street legal skirt in the world you do it in Hongdae mm. you don't do it in on your way to work at Chongno <laughs> no, no yeah, there are different parts yeah there's yeah. different sort of goes I I played I played concerts in the middle of the the Hongdae like the park there man they used to be such a good place and then I think gentrification maybe this is just me and my old boomer thing but it seems to have changed a lot of that punk thing started going out to places like Mule to the industrial sectors when rent started getting higher and things like yeah. that um, I, I, I sometimes see some of the, the costumes and outfits like down in Tongdam and things like that. Yeah. You, you're just always in these absolutely different worlds. When we speak about social media and Instagram and, and followers and things like that, what, when, yeah, go for it, man, whatever you want. Like, um, fishing my bottle out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said that sometimes white American women give you jip about your people mm. smoking. What positive, like, how, how is it being received today? You've got thousands of followers. You've got people looking at your work. You've got all this content going there. What's the, what's the positive response? And I guess I also want to ask is, does Hallyu help this? Because, like, Korea's now fucking cool, man. If you just put made in Korea, people are after it. I love that. It's not a meme, but that quote, 
you guys would stand a squirrel if it were Korean. There's this no. idea that just to be Korean is enough to... Where's the, where's the positivity coming towards your work at the moment? I feel like, I don't know if there's... I mean, the positivity towards pictures I put up comes from people I know through Instagram who already follow me, yeah. generally. Um, and sometimes I'll get, you know, extra pictures and I'll get, like, you know, more comments. Like, that's fire, man, you know, the fire emoji or something. But um, I think that Hallyu kind of creates more room to be able to do this kind of stuff. Mm. And I do, to speak to Hallyu, I do think I have this theory going um, that there is this nascent, nascent, I never use this word aloud. Um, nascent, Nascent, I yeah. Um, feminist movement that is, uh, it's not being argued in the same way that, you know, American feminism, like, we talk about in the 70s, for example, mm. is very much like the embodied by the burning of the bras. It's very political. It's signs. Yeah. It's the pussy hat. It's That's basically white American feminist like action. I don't know the pussy hat. I'm going to yeah, Google that. Was, I have that to be was, careful how I Google that. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> but, but the burning of the bras approach. Put Trump in front of that. That'll, that'll focus <laughs> the, the... Yeah, so... But the, the, the ridiculous... I might get shit for this, too. Um, the ridiculous response after Trump won and the right-wingers had their regime in place mm. was to weave a pussy hat and go, I just like, what? this is this is what we're doing? Like, I'm more of the type of, like, let's go fucking burn a store down. Mm. Like, go throw Molotov cocktails at these fuckers. Like, mm. these people are going to come for you. They're going to come for us. Mm. This is not... Anyway, I'm just over, you know social media activism and what stopped trump political action <laughs> like actual efficacious shit mm. anyway sorry i'm diverging um how does you how you has some feminism to so, it or how do you have some nascent so or I, I feel like korean feminist you can't call yourself a feminist in korea without ending your shit you get canceled yeah, that's real canceled yeah um, Strong shit. They try to cancel. They try to pin down that uh, archer, the Olympic archer, Ansan. Ansan, yeah. yeah. And I thought her response, her response, her kind of non-response response, mm. was basically like, "I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just busy out, out here winning fucking gold medals. Winning gold medals. <laughs> like so, she wasn't just an archer. She's yeah. gold medal winner. So I'm Multiple. winning. I'm a not a like, not a depio. Uh, I don't know what you're fucking talking about." Mm. Um, so she was, you know, I kind of heard Jay-Z in her response. <laughs> um, she's like, I'm in my G4. I don't hear your fucking corny raps. Mm. I'm up here looking in the sky. I'm doing actual things. So, but she had to be like, I'm not a feminist. Mm. I'm not even, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, even when BB made that animal farm video where she's like slicing dudes heads off. Mm whose faces are literally pigs, men as pigs, in the uh, kind of reenactment of the uh, the Tarantino scene. Um, and I was like, that's pretty <laughs> straightforwardly a feminist kind of semiotics here. Mm. And she's like, yeah. That, so when she's pushed on it on the internet, she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not a feminist. What are you talking about? That's just my favorite scene in the movie. This means nothing, <laughs> nothing to see here. I was like, Okay, cool. I know why you have to say that, because mm. they'll come after you, these weirdo Ilbe meninists. 
Um, and uh, but I think that the argument for um, the, the feminism is sort of being argued or presented through aesthetics, like some of the people on who are doing what I would arguably call um, performance art. Um, mm. At this might be a good, good time to put up a picture from one of my favorite new models, Nine Minute. That's her. Uh, okay. That's her Instagram, and uh, her pictures are like strong. So I saw her pictures coming across my feed because we algorithm into the same groove. Uh, certain people. Um, so when I saw her stuff coming across my feed, I was like, "Whoa, who is she? What is she doing? And where are these skills coming from?" Mm. But so when we gel, who is she? Just before you, uh, who is Nine Minute? Because so I can't visualize nine, her. Nine Minute. Can I? Do we have time for me to bring her up on Instagram? Yeah, yeah. You find her. Okay, I'll show you. I'll, I'll I'll say something while you look for her, and I'm I'm, I'm suddenly nine minutes. So it's like it's nine minute in English. Yeah. So I forgot I forgot the the uh, pun, but I mean her actual name is Sumin, but okay, but um, Kubun. That's her nickname. Mm. It comes from some aspect of her. Um, anyway, I think you can. Can I see it? Yeah, let me get that. So you can kind of see what she's doing. She that's not your typical Instagram thirst trap. She uses a lot of her body and sexiness in there, but she's like, um, she's got blood and scars she puts on herself. She's like walking barefoot through the snow with blood coming off of her feet, mm. like, and there's some pretty clear kind of feminist-themed things there. So by any definition we would have of a performance artist, like a Nancy Lang, going back to um, some people who are more famous, like, uh, uh, why am I blanking? 8,000 followers, basically, this woman has there. Yeah. She reminds me of Patti Smith. I don't know why, but Patti Smith, that kind of heroine chic, the very yeah. uh, angular and the hair coming down, yeah. you don't see the eyes and... Yeah, she's got a very, um, ah, why am I blanking? The most famous. Kate Moss. No, the most famous uh, performance artist. She's now credited with inventing the selfie. Hey, Siri, who invented the selfie? <laughs> Come on, Siri. Oh, the first known self-portrait was 1839. That's not what I'm That's the way. <laughs> Give me a second, because I, I want to talk about her. Yeah, okay. Because and I every time I try to think of something, uh, of course, blank. Yeah. Um, hey, Siri, open Chrome. Why can't I get anything done? Surely, surely it's quicker just to press Chrome button, uh, Mike. Oh, I don't know where. <laughs> yeah, all right. Oh, all right. I don't know. I actually, just in doing this, Cindy, yeah. Cindy Sherman. Cindy Sherman. Yeah. Okay. Who's now kind of, her her name has come up again because she's been in some TV shows. Right. Her name's been mentioned. Um, but Cindy Sherman was basically um, an acting, acting out moments. She had this th series called Film Stills. So mm. she basically made a series of theoretical stills from a, production of an actual film um, where she acted out like roles she was but a lot of them very centrally circle around gender mm. um, so she's got ones where she's kind of crying she's like on the ground she's like looking like she's just been hit by a man or something and it's like weird because what in the 60s mm. why are you going around putting on makeup and you know 
outfits and acting out roles for your still camera. You have your friend take a picture or in her case, her dad took some of the pictures. Mm. Um, and, um, why would you do that? It was just weird. She's, but when she started making this her art and she started, this is the first time anybody had done anything like this. Mm. Um, or uh, Nikki S. Lee, who did this in the 90s, she's a Korean performance artist um, who was doing, uh, she was like acting out social roles. She would actually go into communities. Mm. She actually went into the Deep South and lived with the KKK for like several weeks and took pictures in a way as quote unquote white trash. Mm. And she like lived with them, she became them, and she did portraits of herself as them. Mm. It's kind of controversial. Nowadays you wouldn't get away with that because Is that people, ethnography? You were talking I about would that. say that's a very deep, respectable kind of ethnography. Yeah. But people would be tripped up by her so-called cultural appropriation, mm. which I think is a questionable word unto itself. Anyway, she did that with black hip hoppers in New York. She lived as a black person. Mm. I think she kind of tanned or darkened her skin somewhat. Mm. I mean, not in a ta tasteless way, but it's just the picture she took kind of fit. She did this with uh, skaters. She was a stripper. She did all these social roles. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was, she got a lot of respect and accolades for that as an artist. So she became quite famous. But basically what Nine Minute is doing mm. is that performance so uh, she's doing some straight up cindy Sur cindy sherman shit right here mm. her whole feed going back a long way well before i met her so mm. i mean some of her better stuff and of course she's smoking a little bit she's got a white wig she's very good with makeup is there a name sort of i get this wrong but i'm thinking of the japanese movie the ring yeah and then also, if you look at there's there's a lot of Korean horror, horror movies where they would use the the the, the female ghost. I, I forgot her yeah. name's name. I don't want to say it wrong, like Tanyo Gusin or something like this, with the hair coming over, the faceless. That 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 has roots in in Korean culture as well, doesn't it? This yeah. idea. Is, is there any element of that going on in there in this thing? It plays up this kind of. I'm not sure, but most of the stuff that I see her referring to. Mm. I mean, she's referring to the like movie slash television media habitus that she has. Mm. So I don't know in her other work, but definitely she she puts on these Sailor Moon things, and uh, she's playing with the concept. She's definitely um, how old is she? She's twenty three. She looks very young. I, that, that's, that's the idea, that's, that's, isn't that's it? Her, that's her thing. She knows. She's an adept. She knows exactly what she's doing. So mm. she put on that Sailor Moon thing and uh, the white socks, the pose, the fact that the way she does her makeup. The, or the manhwa or the comics around her. It looks she, went very to, she went to a manhwa bang. Yeah. Like she, she's setting what I call, I think she's, my way of looking at how I think Korean feminists are going to establish feminist um goals get, mm. to get them done is to set logic bombs so so a logic bomb mm. i like this idea so but i'm not a computer science person so basically you set up all these things such that when certain conditions are met mm. like uh, this is like uh vicious code kind of thing if and, i then be that yeah, kind of stuff and like a, so a whole bunch of things line up then the bomb goes off and just destroys mm. the system 
So in a way, um, that's kind of the thing that I tend to want to do is I like to play with existing media tropes. Mm. And then you pull, you set the trap, you pull them in. Um, and someone like her, she's doing exactly what a lot of men like. She looks like a little kid. Mm. She's got her cute little socks on. I mean. I'd feel dangerous about liking that photo a little bit, Mike. Oh. Do, do, no, do you know what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you get what I mean by yeah. that. Like it's, there is, uh, but it, it's only suggestive. There's nothing actually bad in the content. It's all yeah. just playing on subconscious desires and tropes and concepts. Yeah. So on concepts. Are there any you, you mentioned cultural appropriation a bit yeah. and, and, and how that's difficult. Are there any concepts that are offline? Are there any concepts that are like uh and um this might not be as interesting to you, but Elle as well on Twitter, she asked for you the question mm. can Korean celebrities and K pop stars still feign ignorance about swastikas and mushroom clouds in their fashion? They're very extreme examples. But K-pop and, and it's always been about concepts, right? Yeah. They've always done that. Let's do cheerleaders. Now let's yeah. do this. And with the globalization, some people are saying like those concepts, you can't quite do that. Yeah. Are there any concepts that are... Off limits. Off limits or a bit like you would be a bit touchy about or tell me about concepts. No, really. Okay. Uh, this concept, the Sailor Moon thing, the schoolgirl uniform mm. that's sexualized. I'm just like, all my models want to do it. I want to do that and set the trap. Mm. You know, I want to work with that, um, with that cliche. But there are models um, who are like, yeah, I don't put on uniforms. I don't do kyobo. Mm. I'm not going to touch that at all. So, I mean, I personally do whatever the model wants to do. I'm trying to think if there's been one. I don't think there's anything I've been like, yeah, let's not do that. I don't think so. Do you mess with religion? You don't like dog collars and. Uh or crosses or anything like that? I mean, I don't really, but I think a few people have in the pictures. Um, does does race ever come into it? So if they say, I want to do this kind of thing, or I want to do these hairstyles, I, I, I don't know your take on all this, but it's just a genuine question. They say, um, and I might get the words wrong, they want to do braids or, or they like this, because that's kind of common here. Yeah. Does, does that if, ever come into it? If they did, I don't think that many people do, but... That, that's not there. So, um, of the models who want to do stuff with me, they're, yeah. they're not really that cognizant of that end of things. But now, um, those kind of songs, Cardi B, Black Culture, is getting bigger. Mm. So, if somebody was like, I want to do like complete like like black culture, black women's hair, and do braids, mm. or you know the any aspect of that, I'd be like. Good, let's do that. So I'm like, my social scientist part of me is like, if you're feeling like black culture and you want to put that in your, into your thing, I'm documenting that. I'm not going to you know, push that away. I'm like, that's what's hot. That's mm. what we're going to do. Because basically whatever, if I will suggest tweaks to concepts, but my whole thing about working with these models is mm. they usually bring the concepts relatively finished to me. And they're like, I want to do this or can we do something like that, X, Y, Z? I'm like, sure. I'm more interested in Y mm. right now. Let's do Z later when I have that item or we can order it or whatever. It's yeah. just a practicality thing. But if somebody's like, I want to do cornrows, I'm like, okay. That to me is documenting what people are thinking about here in Korea. I, there's pretty much nothing I'd be like no to. How does 
fetishization work with this, like of the Asian body. So in I, I see that this is empowering and this is um, nine minute choosing these concepts yeah. and, th and they're going with this. Is there an argument that like feminists or, or other people might say that this is uh, reinforcing stereotypes and it's perpetuating the harm rather than solving the harm or something like oh, this. I, I believe, I think that's just a crock of shit. Um, okay. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's... <laughs> that's, that's why I'm asking that, you the questions. That seems, I mean, that seems yeah. like a very American thing to say, actually. Okay. Uh, because if you talk about Sailor Moon huh. or schoolgirl uniforms, me or these girls or these people doing, you know, these kind of concepts, basically responding to the existence of these tropes... To say that you're reinforcing that or doing something like I've had that, you know, come at me. You're you're like valorizing smoking. Mm. Uh, you're like encouraging people to smoke. I'm like, no, I'm not. People like like big money and companies have made smoking cool. It is arguably a cool thing to do. I mean, it's a cool thing. That's why, you know, gangsters and you know cowboys and stuff they smoke when they deliver the cool line. You know, mm -hmm. you know. All that stuff. It looks cool because it's been made to be cool. And having somebody respond to that or work with that in a look on Instagram as a nobody model mm. with no power. I'm not a photographer with any power. And we're all trying to use these tropes to make another kind of critical commentary. So at least we're out. Somebody's out there doing that. I mean, I'm not. F so I want to be like, I'm not fucking Philip Morris out here like selling candy flavored cigarettes to mm. kids <laughs> like, like i mean if you're really mad about that go after those guys and people have mm. but like even with this school uniform um that's such a you shot like that yeah. uh, your your background whatever you call it your screensaver thing there oh thank you like even th this shot which isn't mine but uh nine minute in this cute sailor moon outfit mm. i mean the japanese school uniform is the most sexualized, commoditized piece of clothing on the planet, on the, on the fucking planet. Like that's not like actual lingerie or something mm. overtly sexual. No, it's not. There's nothing sexual about it, isn't it? Except yeah. in our mind. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, the history of that uniform and why it's even a sexual object mm. is much more complex and powerful, because this basically happened in like 1997. I. I know, I've heard Sailor Moon, but Sailor Moon is just like an animation. It's like yeah. One Piece or something like that. It's yeah. just a... Because yeah. it's like, it's the sailor outfit. That yeah. It's a Japanese school uniform. It's, it used to not be so heavily charged. Um, even in the mid-90s, I know people who worked in JET, who taught in, in Japanese middle mm. schools. And they're like, Japanese schoolgirls, like in the early 90s, they weren't even sexy. They were just gross. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one uh, friend of mine who was teaching in Japanese yeah. girls' high school, and she's like, these pubertied up girls who are basically the biggest thing that makes me feel gross about them is, like, these girls sweat like crazy. I mean, back in back in the day mm. when there was not air conditioning in these schools. No, man. Um, so she, she'd talk about in her class, these girls would roll, hike up their skirts around their waists spread their legs in class and just fan their crotches because they're so hot. And she's like, that is the most disgusting fucking shit you could ever see in your life. And if you, have a whole, <laughs> and if you, if you were in a room of Japanese schoolgirls for real, yeah. you would not think anything sexy about that mm -mm. back in the day. Mm -mm. But in the, the mid-late 90s, mm. and when Japanese schoolgirls became the main buyers for like these shops at Shibuya mm. and started making 
cons- consumption, consumptive decisions for most of the high school kids in the country, mm. they became the most powerful, like, actual capitalist figures in the country. I mean, they're making buying decisions that affect, you know, millions of people. And that that's when you start seeing uh, the Wonjo uh, Kyoche, the Enjo Kosai, the, the paid compensated dating. Okay. Um, and, you know, the, that, like, illicit activity matched up with the way that, Korea, that Japanese schoolgirls were fetishizing the media and were fetishizing mm-hmm. themselves, mm-hmm. and their aesthetic was spreading out to all the um, young girls in the country, and pretty soon media started picking up on it. And that's why, even if you don't know, but also another part of the perfect storm is online porn, mm-hmm. internet porn, a lot of which is pumping out of Japan like crazy. The only representations of Asian porn, because Asians in American porn, was always that those representations were always garbage. <laughs> but Japanese porn was pumping out like crazy. They had a highly developed porno industry. Mm. I brought this up at an academic conference mm. with uh, two young, cool presenters. They had both had matching pink uh, hair, <laughs> uh, matching pink um, wigs as they were presenting. I thought they, I think they thought it was some kind of edgy, like they were wigs. Transgress- yeah, yeah, okay. transgressive thing. And I was like, so afterwards, I, I asked a question during the, the post thing. I was talking about yeah. the pornography and representations of women in Asian women specifically. And I was, I raised my hand. I was like, um, what do you make of the fact that I don't think actually American pornography even has the power to control representations of Asian women, given the fact that so much of so many of the Asian bodies having sex mm. on the internet now in 1997 or eight or whenever I said this is coming out of Japan mm. and the extreme, uh, misogyny, the extreme weird shit that, that happens to a women's bodies, Asian women's bodies on the internet mm. is coming out of Japan. So how can we even arrogate ourselves to think that we can control, you push back against representation of Asian people on the internet? And they were just like, you're weird. <laughs> Why are you talking about Japanese porn? <laughs> they said that with their pink wigs on. Yeah, yeah. I, they, I was basically <laughs> roundly ignored yeah. as some weirdo. Um, but look what's happened, Asian porn, I, the, there's a reason we had what's her name in uh, Kill Bill, Lucy Liu. No, the the, the Japanese schoolgirl with the mace. Oh, she was yeah part of the the, the hateful eight or something. Oh yeah, I can't remember yeah. what it was called, but yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. And she, yeah. The, the, I, the, what I thought Tarantino totally got. Um, if you're gonna do Japan, and it's obvious that he knows Japan, he's been there back and forth. He's got. Friends, I mean, he these loves the directors as well, doesn't yeah, he? he knows he's, he's he knows it, that yeah. culture, the movie culture, the actual popular culture. Yeah. Um, he goes, oh, he puts a Japanese schoolgirl who's doing Enjoko Sai mm. um, with a businessman, and she likes to murder them while she's wearing her perfect little white socks and the, using her cuteness mm. and not setting logic bombs, but she's pulling them into her web and fucking bashing their heads in, and that is something that we could understand, kind of, even if you don't know the culture. Mm. Um, as viewers of that film, you're like, oh, that's like a Japanese thing. I know kind of that's the schoolgirl. I kind of know what's going on. But, you know, that, the schoolgirl, mm. Japanese schoolgirl, there's a reason that look has a certain aesthetic 
supremacy in the world. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've been in Japan and I've seen sort of sex shops with all the porn there and you can just walk around with a little basket and things and mm. just put and it, it, it's like a blockbuster but just a blockbuster of just porn of all sorts and stuff that I, I never thought would exist or something like that you know yeah um but then in korea i don't know if we bring this to korea and and porn and sex if you try to type obviously this is what people have told me you try to type porn into a a, a chrome browser or something you're getting a police warning it's like yeah. you, you're not allowed to look at that how does how does porn and sex work here with these models? And, uh, um, it, it doesn't play a role, or it, it's well. I think the thing that I notice about that I find very interesting about the Japanese Sailor Moon, the the schoolgirl, the Japanese schoolgirl, is how much in Japanese culture there's this melding of like actual Japanese schoolgirls who wear those uniforms for real, mm. um, and you know, how they've made themselves, like, sexy mm. in relation to how that image has been super sexified across the world. Like, there's this coming together, this blending, mixing of the actual Japanese schoolgirl as a self-empowered or self-described sexy person, mm. a person who needs to see themselves as sexy. Um, like, the real Japanese schoolgirl and the image of the Japanese schoolgirl have kind of melded. And I think that... The, in the Korean case, Korean schoolgirls, I definitely took pictures of a group of, a portrait of, of Korean schoolgirls mm. in, what, 2002, three, And Korean schoolgirls were just like, they just wore uniforms. It was like, there was nothing sexy about Korean schoolgirls because most mm. of the outfits were ugly back in the day. Mm. But my point is, I think the Korean schoolgirl and the, the actual Korean schoolgirl and the sexified which has happened in korea mm. the sexified korean schoolgirl have also kind of like started merging and exchanging with each other because now mm. you can see in the street korean schoolgirls dress up to look like the sexy fuckable schoolgirls that you mm -hmm. see in mm -hmm. all the movies mm. right the dramas as well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean they're 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 the paths are blending uh besides the categories are blending Jacques Lacan said that to uh, you, you access you access the real through the fantasy. You yeah. have to go through the fantasy, and I, this might be one of those things that the the fantasy is derived as a caricature of the real originally, like this sexified schoolgirl. Yeah. But now that sexified caricature becomes the thing that drives the reality now, and and they kind of switch around in those things. <clears throat> when you excuse me. <clears throat> when you talk about people with pink wigs getting like weirded out by you talking about porn and representation and things like this, now you're a proper ap academic. You've got your PhD, like you, you know the stuff. But it feels like when I look at it, and I could, it was Mark Peterson, Dr. Mark Peterson, he said, David, do you know why academia is so like brutal? Because the stakes are so low. He's exactly right. Because what I want to make this point is you've gone on to medium. By medium, I mean like posting blogs. And, mm. and, and in, in your work, you, and I might be mischaracterizing it to say if I'm wrong, but, but you swear and you use modern language and you use images and it's, you know, you, you have the credentials <laughs> and you have, but you're not just like, I'm going to publish SEO papers, but you're like, no, this I want to talk like this and I want to swear and I want to say these words and I want to talk about porn and sex and race and, 
it's quite an interesting approach to Korean studies, isn't it? Mm. Or it's quite an interesting approach to just life in general. Or well, to be an academic in Korea as well. Because mm. yeah. I, I was told there was this professor who was kind of like my mentor, kind of like my frenemy. Who was like trying to like push me up, mm-hmm. um, especially with my K-fashion thing. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, using me to do his own ends as well, which I was perfectly cognizant. Korean or Western person? Korean person okay. who was trained in the West. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, so his his advice for me was always a version of, yo, you got to really clean up your act. You got to like do things, act like a Korean academic, dress up better, lose weight, <laughs> do all the things. And uh, so, but I was like, yeah, that's not my, that's not my thing. But I, in the end, I was right because he did all those things. They still fucked him hard. Um, it, all the things he did, right? SSCI papers. He put them out like shoo, 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 mm. just like making it rain. Those papers, they still fucked him over. He Insane. wrote papers for other people. He did all the things right. Mm. He's Korean. They screwed him. Like they're not gonna respect me because I wrote even in the top journal in the in sociology, mm. American Sociological Quarterly, or whatever. Then I could write ten of those articles. And they'd still be like, fuck that asshole because he's weird. Mm. Um, so I just decided at some point in 2018, 19, that fuck it. I'm never going to succeed on their terms. Mm. The only way I can get ahead in academia in Korean studies in Korea, which is a weird place to be, frankly, because I never get hired to do <laughs> the summer Korean studies programs really? because I'm based here. Which means I'm garbage. I get hired to do them all the time. You yeah. mean abroad international or one's based here? One's based here. Oh, really? Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. So they, I think I'm also, you know, persona non grata with certain people. Um, I feel that too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that too about myself, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just realized the only way for me to get ahead mm. is I've got to do what every person who's made it in Korean popular culture has done. You can't do it through here. You've got to make it outside. Mm, mm. The only way to get recognition in Korea is to get recognition outside Korea, mm. which is how Sadejui, the whole thing works, mm. right? Um, you look at Pek Nam Jun. Love him. No, but the thing is, people still don't really fucking understand what he was doing. I mean, they kind of video art and uh, yeah, whatever, but um, like really like break down what he was doing with text and all, like. People really don't get it. They know he's the video TV guy. They don't really understand yeah, it. Even no. in, in the 80s, think anybody understood what the fuck he's doing? No. TV Garden, TV Buddha, he was doing in the 70s and uh, random access in the 60s with music. I thought, I thought his stuff was really interesting. I mean, if you Sense are on, on, that, on that. But he was like super not what artists are supposed to do in Korea mm. or even outside. But when he was super faded... Outside of Korea, he's like this god. Everybody Korean was like, I guess he's a god then. Nobody pushed back against that. The international global gaze, you make it there, mm. sigh. They didn't like that motherfucker here. He had made a lot of problems here. Smoking weed, all yeah. the protest, politics. And yeah. then he, he even went to, he even had problems with his military service, which he solved by being like, you know what? Stop fucking talking shit about me. I'll go again. Mm. I'll just go twice. Mm. Are we done? Mm. <laughs> but he still he, people. He had he wasn't the guy. When they wanted to push K-pop, they were pushing the Wonder Girls, which was crap. Mm. I mean, they were fine, but the fact 
the idea that they were super popular was never true. Tell Here. me, tell me was a big song that was everywhere. Here, it was a good song, yeah. but other, I loved other than it. that, it was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like Canadian kids were like, "Tell me." Tell, yes. I mean, but the Korean media tried to make you think so. The Korean media tried to make you think Rain was some huge shit. These um, were all JYP people at the yeah. time as well, weren't they? Yeah, they knew how to push the media button, the media play, mm. and uh, or Girls' Generation even when they went on Dave Letterman in 2012. I, I think this is an important year. Mm. I watched that on YouTube, and I, and I watched Bill Murray mm. react, you know, when they came over after singing, like, 10,000 girls in a tiny, tiny stage, which was awkward to begin with. Mm. But he was kind of like, he was kind of like, I'm confused. You can see on his face, like, <laughs> what the, who are these people? And even Dave was like, thanks. I don't know what just happened here, but I was told that you were some kind of people. Thank mm. you for performing. No one knew what the hell that was some weird Asian cheerleaders. It just doesn't fit into um, like the American like means of understanding that kind of pop culture. But the very same year, 2012, is when Psy exploded. Mm. Not the guy anybody wanted to be the guy, like to be the K-pop guy. This was the chubby guy with a side yeah. part in that was doing a funny yeah. dance. And he wasn't without getting into a long explanation of Psy, I think there was a lot more than a lot of people you know, dismiss him for. I mean, he was... He's been a long, talented. He's a yeah. very good performer. Yeah. Um, I like him. I mean, Sai is awesome. I like Champion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I know what he's doing in that song yeah. as well. He's always playing with edgy stuff. He's doing the. It's a middle finger. It's a middle finger. Yeah, it's Sai's, like Sai has been two fisting middle finger in mm. Korean society, which is actually what Gangnam Style is. Yeah. The whole thing to the point where he was rightly so accused of misogyny. Um, with uh, the what's the drinking one with uh, hangover hangover, with hangover. Dog. Yeah. yeah I mean his his he has a very clear hatred of his own people Gangnam people mm. Gangnam style mm. he it's a self-hatred um, he hates so-called Gangnam bitches mm. right you can hear it in every lyric you can see it all the way he puts that you know into the visuals of his songs yeah it's a it's a part of who he is but I've heard that from other people, actually, that expression. The Gangnam bitches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard people say that to me. It's like, let's not go there. There's, there's those yeah. people. Like, it's a thing. And I was like, yeah. wow. wow. And that's that's the vocabulary, visual vocabulary he's working with. He's connecting with, the, mm. with that concept. So that edginess has been inside. He was certainly not the person they wanted to put up as the representative of K-pop. But you can't stop YouTube when he broke the damn thing. Mm. He was. People were like, "Well, I guess he's the guy." It was genuine. People all saw it. They all watched it, and it was. It was. It wasn't fake or hyped up or like Gukbon or the government promoting yeah, it. That right. that side thing was. And it wasn't. To be frank, I don't. This may piss people off, but it's not brown Indonesian Malaysian people, Filipino people. It's not other Asians who like him. It's it's white people, and not the. Off-brand white people, not Eastern European stand people, not take. not Russian people. Yeah. It's white people in the West and North America. Successful white people, right. though, as well. The good yeah. white people. Yeah, or, but, but people that were succeeding in their own lives and that it, it wasn't people that used K-pop as a, as a solace or a sanctuary yeah. or as, a, as something to look up to. These were people already at the top that were liking Psy. I, I see, see that point. See, yeah. K-pop made it with Psy because... That's the point when you couldn't doubt anymore. You had to be like, oh, French people like Psy? 
oh, not Chinese people, mm. you know, um, you know, white people from New York. He was on Ellen. He was on Good Morning America. And people will ask me, is Good Morning America like a really big deal? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, you can take that to the bank. Yeah. You were on GMA. You fucking made it. This is that side of Dewey, isn't it? Yeah. That you can be, I always say this, but like Rose from Blackpink, she can be number one in Indonesia for four weeks. It'll no never make the press. Crap. She'll get number 60 in the British charts, not, not even top 40, and there'll be an article about it. Right. And it's like, no, you should give like equal credit to success that happens in non-white nations, that, but they, they but don't. They ain't going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's huge here, isn't it? So so are you doing, with with your medium, with your going off that way, your you're doing the Sai. You're doing the Beknam Jun. Well, I think the the, the problem is um, if I ever get recognition in Korea or get a, you know, more offers or what have you, it's because I did shit in the States, yes. And uh, the traditional thing I should do is publish a university press, Duke University Press, academic press book, mm. Duke, Harvard. That's yeah, too much for me. But Duke, yeah, that's a lot too. It takes too long. Mm. I'm too old and too impatient. And yeah, no thanks. I'll just rather produce good work, get a book out, get books out. But I just try to do the work mm. and let it speak for itself. And if people recognize it later, cool. you know. But I'm not going to get recognized by doing the traditional things that the Korean academics would respect. So yeah. I got to pull a sigh somehow. But sometimes academia is boring. Like yeah. you read how much work and writing and 10,000 words on this article and, and they say nothing sometimes, which is what uh, your work always says something. You're always making a point, whether yeah. the point is, you know, pushing this button or doing this, but you're, you're, you're saying something, you're starting a conversation. And I find like academia takes a lot of words to say nothing sometimes. Yeah. You know, and, I, and the, in fact, that's the uh, equilibrium you come down to no matter what thing you're trying to say about k-pop well you know in the end you just have to say something very neutrally you can't take too strong of a stance mm. and i'm just like um i so i want to show a picture i'm not sure how we're doing on time yeah we got um, some time um of the the key picture i published in a recent article okay um file section in fact it's easier here is this in solacious um could be hey siri open files you you don't say please to your siri no <laughs> <laughs> so give me the thing just while you find it i i, I think it's fascinating that you you communicate and you're driven by images, right? And, yeah. and you, that's what speaks to you. So that is the... Embody. I'm glad that says bouquet and not bouquet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Embody your bouquet. Yeah, so I made a paper, wrote a paper about bouquet, like the sub-character. You might have to explain bouquet for people that don't. I, I, I know it, but what's bouquet? Like? Bouquet, so like there's bouquetector, which is like your sub-character, yeah. like your alter ego. And there's a bonke, like your original official forward-facing character. I think that's the first time I've heard bonke. Bonke. So oh, like yeah, yeah. the trick amongst the kids these days is that you work in a bank, you put on your, you put on your, you go to the bank, yeah. you sit in your seat, 
you went to a certain college, you're a certain image, you're married, have two kids, whatever. Mm. Your, you know, your official image, that's your bone K. Mm. Like your name is Kim Ji Un, mm. and you're like a nice person, and you have like the nice uniform on. But your bouquet would be like your Instagram thing where you're a pay model. You 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 put on so much makeup that you're like a drag queen. No one recognizes you, mm. and you do like bikini shots. You make side money that way. Mm. That would be like your bouquet, yeah. like your digital alter ego. Koreans have loads of bouquets. That's yeah. a huge thing here. I don't know if it's a bigger thing back home, but they like have three or four Instagram accounts. Yeah. So one thing that, um, so I did this study with Instagram mm. actually here. We did this kind of like ethnographic uh, one of these business, you know, user studies. Mm. Um, and Instagram was very surprised at how Koreans used Instagram because uh, some of the respondents we had, we had to like ask them questions about their Instagram. We interacted with their Instagram main account. Mm. And uh, one of the interviews, one of the typical interviews was like, yeah, I've got seven Instagram accounts, one for this, one for this, one for this. And people were like, what? Like, I mean, one, some were monetized. Some, and the way they monetized them with like the pay modeling thing, they'd mm. never heard of this. So, because mm. they were like, um, so do people use the shop feature? Like, like certain features in Instagram to sell things. Mm. And some of the answers that came back were like, yeah, yeah, we don't even, I don't even know about that thing. Mm. We just do things in different ways. But like the bouquet thing came up as a, a word in the studies. Mm. So Koreans have very successfully digitally compartmentalized themselves and they yeah. professionalized it. Do you do, I, I, for example, Solacious Medium and the Insta, do you do TikTok? Or do you, do you have a look at TikTok much? Because TikTok is, a lot of kids are on TikTok these days, mate. I mean. I don't know why I'm whispering but, about it. <laughs> but, but, you know, they're kind of not in Korea. I mean, Koreans they're use TikTok. They're watching TikTok. They're watching TikTok. But they're also, since so much of that is on Reels, mm. I feel like more people are using Reels mm. and YouTube Shorts mm. and maybe using parts of TikTok, like one of the parts of TikTok to the professionalize, thing, which I recommended to Instagram, make this as my, I wasn't from a user, it was just mm. my, you need to offer more professional tools to make your shit, um, which is what TikTok does. CapCut is like Final Cut Pro level editing. Mm. And yeah, so they, I think to make the TikToks, they may use a lot of these tools and then they get, you gotta do reels, you gotta do shorts these days. Mm. Um, but, which is one reason I think that the Americans right now freaking out over, we have to ban TikTok. Like, you're just barking up the wrong forest. It's because Zuckerberg lost, because yeah. nobody liked his metaverse. And yeah. Facebook's dead. Yeah. So they're like, you're corrupting our kids. We can have our bad tech giants, but not your bad tech giants. Yeah. It does seem a bit like that to me. And also, it just seems like they're barking at the just clouds. Mm. Um because you're pissed off that this media form exists and it can be used for dastardly deeds. Mm. But you can't stop the media form. I mean, you're going you're gonna to ban reels too? <laughs> no, yeah, you can't. It's, it's just the way people do it these days, you know. There's, uh, they don't want to read as much. They, just, yeah. they, they want this short form. They want this vertical thing. That's just what they're used to. I mean, I've got young kids. I see how native they are to this stuff yeah they just pick up the pad and they're like boom 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 watch it like this and 
my kids, they're watching one video and they're scrolling through the ones that they want to watch next, preparing it. Do you see what I mean? These are six <laughs> years old, Mike. They're and like, the medium boom. is the message, as Mr. McLuhan said a long time ago. Uh, if you want to talk about how TikTok or TikTok-like things have harmed our children, um, China, who cares about their political goals or propagandistic, whatever? Mm. I mean, you've warped our children. That's why, it's why China banned all of our shit. <laughs> Facebook, YouTube, BBC, you yeah. get none of that in China. And without the- you, think, you think about all American freedom, freedom, but frankly speaking, we're doing, we're using the Chinese logic, which has been correct the entire time, for all of our talk of freedom of speech and blah blah blah, Americans are like, yeah, we're gonna ban this shit out. Nobody's nobody's talking about how maybe we shouldn't. Doesn't that violate our own values? But people used to poo-poo. Oh, we can't do Instagram, Google, mm. YouTube, and China. And Chinese government, I think, was rightly like, yeah, why would you let foreign media platforms into your society? Mm. Because it does lots of bad shit. We don't even know all the bad shit it's gonna do, but they could do bad shit. And basically the bad shit it does is everybody in America, the kids, they want to be an influencer. They want to be insta-famous. They want to be a model. Mm. But, you know, Chinese kids, apparently, I heard this, some story, still want to be like doctors and engineers and like astronauts, standard things, you know. But American kids are like, I want to do silly dances, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fine if you also want to be something else. I don't see that in the Korean universities. I don't see people wanting to be influences and I, I've only got like I'm at two unis so I don't I don't see every university kid here and and they're all very different they're not monolith but I don't see I I see and I teach now a course in digital media communication but I see the the young South Korean men and women they want to remain more anonymous online they want to be able to go online and see the stuff but they don't want to be the person in front of the camera because yeah. it's dangerous here. Like yeah. you, you kind of don't want to be known sometimes in Korea yeah. for, uh, for the Korean people. You want to blend in and enjoy all your stuff. See, I think the one of the things I talk about in another paper I did was uh, the fact that given all the extreme social disciplining of women and the misogyny in the mm. history of Korean media, I mean, we're talking about to the 1920s and newspapers talking about a Women are overconsuming, and yeah. um, you go back to like forgotten people, like the pink pajamas girl on Pandora TV, which everybody fucking forgot about. I don't know this. Like, so there's this little cute middle school girl who had pink pajamas on in the video, and she de- she danced sexy dance, which is was this popular. In, this is in Korea. Yeah. So this is Pandora TV pre pre YouTube platform. Okay. Okay. So. She did the sexy dance and she was casting it. It came after her. But she was in middle school, so they kind of backed off. Mm. And there was like, the parents are evil, blah, blah, blah. What kind of person are you raising? Um, but then people forget the uh, 2005 dog poop girl. That was <laughs> that yeah. was the first case of cyberbullying, really. Um, and uh, it was because, I mean, was, people forget the gendered aspect. She had a cute little white expensive dog. And she was a young woman who was kind of, you know, engaging in like foreign fashion trends and mm. she was well-dressed she had shitty shoes on but whatever um so but she literally was, she, <laughs> yeah, she, she, yeah. she was doing all the things young women are not supposed to do uh, in korea and they came after her like no mercy mm-hmm. scorched earth i got her citizen's number her school number her home address that whole nine 
and uh, that Psy World, you know, people getting fired from their jobs, having bikini photos at like Day Beach in the mm. mid 2000s. That kind of stuff is pretty common. But so given that background, mm. like the Instagram pay modeling and the, the kind of subcultures of like these quasi-feminist, semi-feminist uh, performance artists mm. doesn't really make cultural sense if you think about it. It's too dangerous to really engage in, but there are people, it's very easy to find these mm. kind of performing artists who want to do crazy concepts. So like the Red Boots, I got the red boots that were going around the internet. They're kind of like the Kanye boots or something, aren't they? Yeah. Well. I don't want to, like, but they, he was those. They, they were the thing, weren't they? Yeah. Big oversized moon boots. Well, I stuff. think I think Mischief uh, was actually playing a huge uh, trolling joke because okay. I think um, what Mischief is doing is uh, what Shepard Ferry did back in like the well, early '90s with his Obey campaign um, with. The so he had the sticker mm. of Andre the Giant. This mm. I know Andre the Giant. Yeah. yeah. So Andre the Giant has a posse, <laughs> and they put his big, like stenciled face on these stickers and these yeah. posters. And actually, they succeeded in putting up on billboards along I ninety five in Providence, mm. and people were like, "What is this? Is this a satanic cult? Who is?" Why is Andre the Giant have a posse? Who are these people? What's a like a posse is a group of people. A posse like a like a like gang. A gang. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so. Okay. So the, if you look up Andre the Giant has a posse, these, these stickers online. I mean, the thing is, if you kind of know, I mean, you know it's not serious if you're a young person Yeah. Um, back then. Yeah. But Andre the Giant has a posse was hilarious. The biggest practical joke. Yeah. Because um, Andre the Giant doesn't need a posse. He's his own posse, isn't he? He can like, barely walk at the time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> man. He, he would just. He, I, I was always so impressed by the tales of his drinking and things like this, yeah. and just how he would have to get on planes to go to Japan. And yeah. where the fuck does he sit? And Three seats. Yeah, yeah, man. Andrew, Andrew, as a posse. So people got into this joke, and they started making their own, printing their own copies, and sticking them all over the place, up and down the East Coast, all over the Love U.S. It. And uh, so. That made Shepard Ferry like a, a god of, of design and everything. That's where mm. the Obey thing comes from. So the whole thing that he talked about was he had, this whole thing was an experiment in phenomenology. Like the, the, yeah. So the idea of making this kind of large media phenomenon that actually has nothing to it. Mm. So um, I think that's actually what Mischief is doing. They're just like, Let's just make these fucking ridiculous boots and see what happens. Who picks that? How far it'll go? Mm. And it kind of went a long way. People buying this shit for $1,500 and, you know, it, the big influencers like, I got to get a pair. Were they hard to get in Korea or you just find them everywhere? They were hard to get before they were officially released. Mm. But then after they were officially released, of course, Alibaba and a million Chinese makers. Xi'an and stuff yeah, like that. Where they made, I bought these for 50 bucks from Alibaba. They look, they look like something out of, um, I don't know, like what you would buy from old toys like Lego or yeah, Bill and Ben or something. People joke that the Astro Boy. Yeah, yeah, okay, that would make sense. That would make sense. Can can you say something about? I know, I know, fashion, uh, photography, and things. Can I? Can I? Can we? Can we pause? Or y yeah, I'll yeah. just run. You can maybe cut it out. I have no, to cut it. Oh, I realize I could have answered your question better. <laughs> um, Which one about the uh, as a scholar in Korea, yeah. cursing and things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So I think the better way to maybe put that at the front of the question would be like, or the answer would be like, I can't really be the perfect Confucian scholar that they expect a lot of people to be. In fact, Silk, like many Korean scholars, can't be that person either. No. And you don't want to be anymore because the, the <laughs> that age is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and students want a different relationship, I think, with professors. They bring me in as a foreign professor in many of my positions to be an American professor for Korean students, mm-hmm. to offer a little bit of a different experience, to bring out an American-style brashness. Yeah. Or, you know, intellectual engagement because, frankly speaking, Korean, yeah, Korean kids don't talk. They're not encouraged to talk. Um, And, uh, yeah, a little bit of that American, uh, like when you have American students in your classes, probably, Mm -hmm. they just won't fucking shut up. (laughs) Like Americans are, I think, Mm -hmm. I, I, and I, and I, and I, and I, me, 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 me. And th- <laughs> that being overly done is a problem. But yeah. I think a little dose of that with Korean kids can be helpful. Can, so. I, say, can I say that generally, and I have uh, so many international students and domestic students and from Asia and America and, and Northern Europe and yeah. stuff and Koreans, but normally the students that do the best work are the Korean students. They, no. they out, like, not, Sing- I'm not all of them. Singapore. I'm talking about, oh, oh, Singapore. No, yeah, no lie, man. Some of the students I got from Singapore, wow, these, these people are smart. But well, it wasn't but just like you get one or two. I had this class of 50 Singapore students, and I was just like, oh, Jesus, ridiculously smart. They were getting ideas that I would throw at them, and it, I would normally take an hour or so to go through this idea with people and unpack it. I've seen them Singapore do, students would go, boom. I, I've seen them do things, and I'm just like, uh, like written midterms and finals, yeah. like quotation marks, passages of the book. I'm like, what? What? What drug are you taking? Give me some because <laughs> this performance enhancing drug you all seem to have is like the handwriting itself looks like a font mm. when you get it back on the, and it's always some Singaporean student who's like, you know, according to the article on page 15, said. Block quote who block quotes <laughs> in, in a written in exam. The, the Singaporeans, yeah. yeah, that's some serious business right there. They've got it going <laughs> on. But because we don't have much time, can we do a little bit of quick fire? Because there's lots yeah. on this paper that I haven't done yet. Oh yeah. So um, let, let, let's do a little bit of quick fire of some of these. Uh, the first one from Jacko Zwetslut. He sent oh, me yeah. this. You, you you know Jacko. He was very happy. Uh, Gotta be ready you, for a Jacko question. Yeah, it's a. You know, Jacko told me, David, you should have Mike on. He, he was very pointed about that. And I, I, I'd been thinking about it, but he was really happy that you were coming on. Anyway, Jacko asks, um, Jacko says, I seem to recall Mike poo-pooing the concept of Korean wave over a decade ago. So ask him now his views on global Hallyu. Have they changed or developed over time? Yeah. That's a Jacko question. He's absolutely correct because I wrote the article well, I think the name of the article for Korea Times was "There is no Korean wave," and <laughs> I was trying to make videos. trouble. Yeah, <laughs> and I think what I was saying in that article was most of the Korean wave that is being talked about is just hyped-up stuff, like we talked about with mm. uh, Rain and mm. uh, Wonder Girls. And I'm like, that's not really a thing. And I think, like other people, it was after Psy hit and he stayed hit, 
stayed hidden, um, that everybody was like, it must be a thing now. And I think mm-hmm. everybody was like, okay, now that debate's over. What do we do? How do we make sense of what's happening? And uh, I think after Psy, like many other people, mm-hmm. it's just like, well, that debate's done. Yeah. And then after movies and TV, and there's no debate. There's no possible way for anyone to maintain the position that Korean stuff isn't cool, mm. like, anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the fact that you openly admit you write articles that cause trouble sometimes, <laughs> just to be trite, or just yeah. because to explore ideas. Because I write, I write an article every week, and, like, mm. sometimes people read it and they'll go, like, oh, you got this wrong. I'm like, mate, sometimes you just need to explore ideas and have fun, and mm. not every article is, like, some peer-reviewed, you spent your whole life working on this article. It's yeah. just a thought over coffee that you're just trying to like get some people to talk about stuff. There. And I, I think you do that quite a lot, don't you? You seem to play with it. I have. Um, and I also kind of assume purposely um, difficult positions sometimes. Yeah. But, and then sometimes I put up pictures that are just like, if I, <coughs> if, uh, <clears throat> so I swallowed things wrong. Um, mm. If me and Nine Minute want to do some, I mean, she's the kind of person who would do some crazy, edgy, like something that looks like it's just reproducing dominant tropes, mm. but in there is a little bit of a tweak that ends up being a logic bomb that traps a lot of basic thinkers. Mm. That's the very sort of stuff that I love to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like this idea of logic bomb. <coughs> um, does Nine Minute speak English? Kind of, yeah. yeah okay. Much better than people her age would. Mm. And the thing about Nine Minute that makes all these models very interesting is she, her job, she does all these edgy things, mm. right? But she's a baker. <laughs> <laughs> she bakes shit. My, my biggest, <laughs> most appreciated present from her mm. was she's been practicing doing baguettes. And she delivered a bag of her practice baguettes. And I was like, they were amazing. That was good French pronunciation, by the way. You got that one right, <laughs> baguettes. <laughs> Do you, uh, the, the, the French word for chopsticks, mm. baguettes. That's what French people call chopsticks, baguettes. A baguette is not a piece of bread. It's just a long thing. So oh. that's also that. Um, there's this band called the Rum Kicks, and they're huge. And they're, they're a three-piece punk band. But they put up the huge mohawks and they dress it up. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It, it's not so much about the music as, as much about the aesthetic that you yeah. get to go and see three Korean women doing that. Mm. And one of them works in a honey one. Yeah. Like you see her in a like in a bonke, yeah. right? And she's just like a nurse working in a oriental, uh, what like an alternative medicine mm. thing, a honey one, right? And then on Saturday night, she's just fully punked up. It, it's really interesting that that's. Totally the Korean way. It's on brand, yeah. 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 And that's what the idols are doing, maybe. Yeah. I mean, like these, some of these models who, like, the, the girl with the, the ripping the condom thing. Hannah. Yeah, Hannah. So she was like, uh, her job, her longest job, she's also a cook, but she was the person who made your food at the Outback. Mm. She cooked at the Outback. So your Tumba Woomba pasta was made by her. <laughs> Outback used to be a thing. Yeah. I, I don't see Outback anymore, but it, Outback you used to go to Outback. You used to have the bread and the butter and the soup. And yeah. All of a sudden, just, um, let's do a couple more quick fires yeah. before we get out. Um, 
is there something the world gets desperately wrong about Korea? Is there something that people like misunderstand about Korea? It's like, no, you, you, you got it twisted. Well, I think people buy the K-pop shiny version of Korea mm. and they forget that what, and I think even Korean people, this sounds arrogant to say, the young Korean people get Korea wrong because there's like two Koreas. There's like old school, underneath everything, old school, original Korea, mm. where rules are flexible, where everything depends on who you are. It's mm. all relational. Um, and then there's like the young, what the young people know, which is like, you know, objective, fair rules that apply to everyone. It's a democratic, a democratic Korea. Mm. Like that's new. Mm. So when people sometimes come and they discover that what's really running the show is the non-democratic old school way, people get really bent out of shape. Mm. So I don't know. I think buying the the nice shiny Korea is like you're not getting what really is running the show still. Mm. Hierarchical relationships and power yeah. distance, especially if you speak Korean and you're yeah. working with Korean people. That That's like, I, I find it hard to explain that to people sometimes. Yeah. If they're just coming here and they're only interacting in English, it's like, no, when I speak to these people in Korean, I'm like honorific language and bowing. And yeah. That's that's how it goes, even if I'm in my 40s. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's do a couple more of these quick fire. I, I like this all of a sudden. Um, can you speak on the concept of the LGBT community? Because you've, you've done some work with trans DJs and oh, things like yeah. this. So uh, we haven't covered any of that. I feel like that's uh, really a function. All the uh, LGBT stuff, the queer Korea stuff that's coming out um, these days is, uh, I think it's a function of the fact there's like, there's the under 30s Korea, mm. and then there's the over 30s Korea, that, that generational divide. Mm. Um, I get on my hyper-modern thing. I think younger kids, under 30-ish people, especially the younger you go, they're a very hyper-modern version of what their identities are. It's malleable. It's consumer-based. It's what I want. Mm. It's about me, me, me. I don't have to choose between preset modern notions of the Korean male, female, um, you know, old school nationalism, patriot, mm. like patriotism, that's old fashioned. So I think uh, LGBT flowering uh, politically and I think personally identificationally mm. is a function of uh, the fact that the younger people just completely think differently um, about how it is to be Korean, how it is to be a person in this society, which is why I think most young people are like, Meh, it's not a big deal. Mm. I really don't care, dude. Like, you can be whoever you want to be, and I can, because I have this consumer-based notion of what it means to be a person here. Mm. I think that's the biggest thing that is uh, making the LGBTQ um, successes possible. Mm. Is basically you've got a field of people who are just like, you do you. You literally have the essential right to do you, just as I do. Mm. Just as I, if I want to be a feminist, so what? Like, there's no law against it, literally no law against it. But um, there's, I think people who are above that age, who are very much raised on the uh, notion of modern identities, 
feel like, you know, because the, the, the people who are on the other side of the queer culture festival mm. doing the anti-protests, mm. what they're actually protesting is the dis, disillusion of their modern rigid concepts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? They're like, mm-hmm. they're like, how dare you not be for, from Christian folks' point of view? Um, how dare you not go to church and do certain things and be a good girl and get married and have kids and all the things that are going on with the population? Mm. They're basically a bunch of old fogies, Gonde, as it were, um, who don't understand how to speak to people who they have zero interest in being a good housewife and chake and mm. having two kids and doing the national their national duty. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think it's a big generational divide that allows that to be a thing. And also, um, the bouquet, bonquet thing, mm. it definitely, f- like, fits onto um, social media in the way that Koreans use it very well. Yeah. You want to be a drag queen, king, whatever you want to do, you want to be a makeup artist, be a drag, do drag makeup tutorials, it's very easy to do when you're when you're working with your bouquet, yeah, and doing that online and getting recognition for it. So, and having bonke bouquet, that's that fluidity. That's it, it's removing those static, solid identities. Yeah, I find it interesting you said about the people un- under thirty and over thirty, and I, I think that's there's a lot of reality in that. But yet the media talks about igong samgong, talks about twenties and thirties. It talks about MZ. It's like yeah. this whole two decades of people. Yeah, and it's like. That's a bit too broad, actually. Yeah. You, you've got to divide that up a little bit, I think, more. I feel like, uh, in my experience, it's about 30. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. Uh, that's how I think it brings down. So when you look at the people on opposite, opposing sides of that queer cultural festival out at Xichang, mm. you look out and you're like, just a bunch of old people, mm-hmm. over defined by like 30, and a few weirdo, hardcore, right-wing young people who are brainwashed, I think, by their elders. Yeah. And you look inside the circle, ain't nobody over the age of 30 over there. Mm. Like, everybody's... I mean, and you get down to, like, high school kids who are starting to discover their identities and things like that mm. and learning to assert themselves, define themselves. You got a lot of younger kids. And then it, it really... Um, Balloons out at in the twenties, mm. tapers off into the, like getting up there, but about thirty, unless you're like a hardcore old school activist mm-hmm. or one of the elders in the community, you don't have many people who are like above that age. Mm. Yeah, and young people today, they would have grown up with Sam Smith and uh, whatever else it might be. Just seeing these naturally, and they'd be able to see it in their room by themselves. They didn't have to watch the television in the living room, and they didn't have to watch like Friends or something, where everything Mm. was a bit more sanitized and conservative. But young people today, I I think they just grow up with different resources. They have their own phones and televisions. They have all this content, and and that's changing so much. one question on race. Mm. We, we didn't touch this, like in your personal experience. I, mm. I don't know how I'm allowed to ask this, but I get 
like yoktabel, like oh, I get positive discrimination. I feel sometimes just like being white, and sometimes they just want a white person in there. Like sometimes they want an American in there.、Mm. Like you've been here since 1994.、Mm. Do you have any observation on what it's like for you to be you in this society and how that works? Well,、uh, back to the 30s thing, above 30 thing.、Mm. So a lot of people talk about oh. I don't give this argument very much、um, serious thought. Generally, people are, oh well, the old people just have to die off and things will get better. I generally think that's a silly argument. But in Korea,、mm. I definitely think that there's something more to that、uh, because most of the people who define Korea as an extremely racist society, and it, it is still, but mostly with people who were above that age range, who were born、mm. at a certain time.、Mm. They've not been able to erase that notion of proper people,、um, especially foreign people, being white people,、mm. um, and、uh, younger people just literally don't care. I mean, of course there are problems and there's gonna be racist. There's exceptions, but generally I've never had a problem in my classes, the students or whatnot, except a couple times at a certain art university I won't name. Mm. Mm. <laughs>、um, uh, but Yeah, generally, I find so. A good example is at the once most prominent foreign language high school、mm. that I won't name, <laughs> but I think everybody will know what it is.、Mm. Um, uh, I was. This was the standard Hagwon line, which was, "Oh, I heard that there was a problem hiring me because I was black, and the students might find you intimidating." And I was just like, I'd been around long enough to be like, "Yeah." The student excuse. Like,、mm. I've never met a Korean student who had a problem directly with me, who wasn't taught to have a problem with me、um, because of my race. And I came to find out after I was hired that indeed it was the older guys who were like, "Oh, he might be like, like scare them or something." I'm like, you're just projecting your fears onto the students. Projecting. Yeah. And I had zero problems. Students were awesome. We got close. Yeah, the race thing. If anything, with Korean students these days,、mm. they—if you bring in your otherness from whiteness—they're、mm. like, oh, especially blackness. They're like, oh, we are into that. We like that more.、Mm. Yeah.、Um, so young people are like, oh, that's ex- extra bonus. <laughs> But <laughs> spec、oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Older people are like, yeah, that's weird. But I, th- I do think to finish off that. Thought、yeah. my spec. I mean, to be frank,、um, spec that's gotten me to be able to stay long in Korea. Well, besides spec, my visa is my mom is Korean. I have Korean blood. I have an F four visa,、um, so I can just take a job without sponsorship anywhere I want. That's in the background. And then spec wise, you know, with my race appearance working against me,、um, generally.、Um, The, going to Phillips Andover Academy, which wasn't a thing in the '90s, but that's become a big thing now in Korea.、Um, Brown University, Ivy, and then two Fulbrights, which doesn't really matter to a lot of people, and then、um, the、uh, the UC Berkeley doctorate, which is top rank, top three in the in grad schools. Sai's also from Berkeley, didn't Sai go there? The LEE,、oh, the okay. music school. Okay,、Boston. so yeah, but yeah.、Um, but he didn't graduate. <laughs> from what I understand, you did. Yes, I did. Finally, yeah, finally. Yeah.、Um, but yeah, that 
has been like magical amulets of power. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't if I didn't have that, I wouldn't allow, I wouldn't be able to be here at all. So I was I was always able to get my foot in many doors very easily mm. with those specs and the yeah. It's generally when something specific, you know, a guy doesn't like me, mm. a dean doesn't whatever feel me. And I've heard this before. I've been presented spec-wise to this high-up person, and the response that this person communicated, mm. another person communicated was, I was introduced, he was like, oh, he wasn't the image that I expected. Because I think, one, I wasn't the race he expected, mm. I wasn't the um, feel that they expected, I wasn't his form, whatever. Yeah. But I think if I had been like you, <laughs> uh, like yeah, yeah. a white guy, you know, be put on a suit, you know, like, I get it. it fit his expectation. Yeah, he might. They'd have been like, "Oh, we like that. We like what you're doing, even though you're just existing." <laughs> yeah. So, do you ever? I don't mean to be insensitive about this, so please tell me if I'm wrong. Do you ever? Your mother is Korean. Yeah. Do you ever use that? Do you ever say, "No, hey, listen, man. Like, I'm also, I'm here." Actually, the funny thing is, I have to put that forward differently okay these days so when i first came to korea back in 94 <laughs> um and i would be like my korean was crap it was non-existent didn't know anything about the place because obviously i never lived here mm. um so i was clueless as any other american person would be in 1994 with nearly zero korean um and then korean people who i befriend or what have you teachers in my school be like, oh wait, we heard your mother's Korean. What the? F-? Like what? <laughs> why? Why are you? You you cheated. Like that's why. Later, as my Korean got better, it became a liability. They're like you deceived us. You tried to act like you didn't know anything, but you spoke Korean. You learned Korean from your mom. I'm like, actually, that's not what happened. But sorry if I offended you. But mm. like I've had to present it differently. So, um, I used to be that. Um, yeah, like it was something that I just could casually just not think about. Mm. Um, but if they find out later, it's like, oh, you try to take credit for learning. I'm like, actually, if we're talking about credit for learning Korean, I didn't have any advantages. I mean, I might have had a little, but my Korean was did not exist mm. back in the day. And you could ask people I knew back in 94 if you could track them down, if they ever had to do a... Uh, uh, hard-hitting documentary expose expose on me (laughs) did he speak korean in 1994 um but yeah it's now something that i've hidden from people Mm. um but in terms of americans that's the funny thing is generally koreans don't care um but uh, in terms of american identity politics not to start sounding like a tucker carlson or anything but i mean american lefties are so focused on identity politics it's just Ridiculous. So mm. one reason I don't think I could do well in Korean studies in the States mm. is I had a friend, a mentor, kind of a, a sunbae, um, who is high up in Asian American studies, mm. um, which was encouraged me to apply for a position. Um, she was like, hey, yo, you know, I noticed on your cover, I had people who read my cover letters, um, some of which were really bad, <laughs> but... Um, She's like, I noticed in your cover letter you don't 
actually seem to have a Korean name. Do you have a Korean name? I'm like, no. Mm. And she was like, I think you might think about making one. I'm like, nah, that's not really my thing. It's just a fake. It's not my real given name. If it had been really given, yeah, it's just just uh, some shit I made up, right? So, um, and I was like, yeah. And she was like, but do you want to work in Asian American studies in the United States? Like, like, so. And actually, I have a. I have a African American friend who's very into the reading of all the major books in ethnic mm-hmm. studies, different Asian American, African American. So he's more up on it. I used to like get the information from him, mm. and he's like, "Hey, I think you should really think about making your name Michael Hertzong, like my mom's maiden name." I was like, "Yeah, that sounds kind of that sounds kind of desperate and fake." But you know, I'll say right here, maybe I shouldn't. There's a lot of Korean Americans who definitely push that forward to get like white editors to because they become the ethnic informant, right? You're Korean American, you have you know you're you know like you're um, Sunja mm. Smith, right? Suddenly, and everything you say about Korea is like you're the Korean informant, even if you don't know shit about the place. Yeah, and I've had low key um, Korean American friends. Who are academics be like, yo, I got stuck teaching a K-pop class. I don't want to fucking do this shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I have to do it. I can't. Like, it's so hot these days. They can't really turn it down. I got yeah. my students want me to teach popular culture. Give me some help me out. Like, can what like what should I be looking at? Like, give like update me. Give me the fresh info. And they're very uncomfortable because they're they're stuck with that expectation because mm. to white faculty. Oh, you're the Korean, mm. and you don't want to be like. Well, actually, I'm kind of whitewashed, and I don't really know anything more about Korea than you do. Mm. Or the other, my other white colleague who's really into K-pop, <laughs> like, don't stick this on me. Mm. But yeah, you don't want to turn that away. But then again, some people jump on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both your your answers to both those like. Um, I would never would have, it's lovely to hear you say what you said, the the way your experiences here, you, you look upon them positively and that you're not, you don't seem willing to sort of sell out or something or use things to get ahead. You want to do it your way. You want to do it the the, the way you're doing it. I, I think it's fascinating. They're going to kick us out of this room in a minute. Oh. I, th- I, I think we'll come back and do part two in a month or something okay, cool. right? because I feel like we're just getting started, right? <laughs> we, we just got there. Thank you. Good interview questions and got me talking. Yeah. Got me thinking. We, yeah, we can see you guys.